poids. Welcome to the show. This, this is our view from, from the bench. bench. Well, welcome to the show. I'm Brendan, Jason Kelsey's lost t-shirt. And I'm Corey, football goal post netting guy, and uh, happy Friday. Ah, happy Friday. We made it. Well, I made it. I know you uh, <laughs> you are busy on the weekends, but made it through the week. Uh, and you had one less thing to do this week, so. I was going to uh, say, we uh, weren't even supposed to be here today, but uh, Morris canceled his concert for tonight, so I had the day off, and here we are instead of having to do it Saturday night. All right, which is great because that gives us, you know, the viewers a little bit more time to review before the big games this Sunday, which I am just stoked to talk about, by the way. Uh, how was your week, man? Uh, well, because I didn't have to work today, it got a little bit better, I can tell you that. <laughs> nice. um, not so bad. I worked uh, the watch party yesterday at Brewery X for the Ducks, which they lost in overtime to Dallas. No shocker there, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was at the Brewery X, had a you know, nice little time watching the game, and I had my laptop working on some other stuff for work, a little bit of the podcast stuff. And also watching some basketball at the same time on TNT through Hulu. So hey. I was doing a lot of a lot of stuff yesterday while working technically, which was nice. Uh, nice. But yeah, other than that, pretty easy week. How about you, sir? Kind of same. I've been sick still. Uh, everybody knows I've been trying to get over this damn illness. So work from home most of the week, try to keep it chill, got stuff done. But just trying to keep it low-key and rest, man, because I'm tired of being sick. I've literally been sick pretty much this entire year so far, and January is almost over. So I'm just excited to be taking this antibiotics, and hopefully it starts keep or keeps kicking in, and uh, I can just get over this, dude, so I can get back to normal. Yeah, that would be nice. Normal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, other than that, it was a pretty chill week. So looking forward to championship weekend. We've got a lot to talk about today. But before we get into anything, we'd appreciate it. If you're not already, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit the notification bell so you never miss another episode when we upload. And Corey, you already know what I'm going to ask you. Uh oh. What are they supposed to do if they like happen to like what they're watching? Oh, yeah. If you like what you're watching, please smash that like button so we uh, know that everybody's yeah. enjoying what we're doing. And then uh, it'll give us some – if you have any notes, obviously, feel free to leave them too in the podcast on uh, as comments on YouTube or even on Apple and Spotify. So if you have anything you think we should add or subtract, please let us know. We're always looking for uh, new ideas. Yeah, yeah. We'd love to chat with you. Whatever – if you like our takes, dislike our takes, have your own takes, let us know. We'd love to review them, so – uh but yeah that's pretty much uh that's pretty much all we know we love again subscribe it's free it's freaking free <laughs> just do it for us man throw a little thumbs up man that's free too it don't cost you a dang thing it definitely help us out yeah no uh, but let's podcast <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but let's just jump right in we're gonna start with the main event uh especially the one for this weekend the nfl conference championship weekend preview is upon us uh, I know everybody's been talking about it all week long. Obviously, there's only two games this upcoming weekend, so there's not much else to talk about as far as sports radio and sports television. So we'll get into it ourselves here. We got the Chiefs visiting the Ravens AFC title game. That's the first matchup on Sunday afternoon. Starts noon Pacific. Make sure you don't miss it. Uh, I'm I'm stoked for this, bro. I, I know that you had the Ravens preseason making it to the Super Bowl. Are you sticking with your pick? Uh, you know, I've been really going back and forth thinking about it. It's so hard. Uh, it's one of those things, you know, picking against Mahomes is like picking against Brady back in the day. It's just hard to do because mm-hmm. until they, I mean, I know Burrow obviously beat him once and Brady obviously beat him once still in New England, but that was also the first time Pat made it to an AFC title game. This is his sixth straight, I believe. It is just 
kind of crazy that he's even in this spot and the Chiefs are here because especially after the way the season went, they didn't really play their best ball, especially in like the first half, maybe even 10 games, but they've kind of figured some things out. Not great on offense, but enough that some of the wide receivers have finally started catching balls and not doing anything stupid, although hard to speak. At two fumbles and one could have been really costly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's weird. I Again, I keep going back and forth. I think I'm still going to pick the Chiefs just because, again, it's hard. No, no, I don't. I can't. <laughs> I picked the Ravens to get to the Super Bowl and win this whole thing back in August when we did our preseason pick. So I think I'm going to stick to that. Um, you know, the Ravens defense is the best defense in football going into this. They have been great. I know Rokon Smith has just, honestly, he's kind of playing like a mini Ray Lewis out there as far as, as, as the defense goes for the Ravens and how they've kind of built their teams in the past. Um, but at the same time, Mahomes in his career against the best defense, including the playoffs is six and one. So I wouldn't be shocked if the chiefs win this game, but I'm still going to stick with my, my gut that, well, I wouldn't even say gut more at this point, more of my brain back in August. I'm going to pick weird intuition. (laughs) Yeah. It's just weird. I'm just going to stick with it. I think it's going to be really close. So I don't expect this to be a, a runaway again, would not be shocked if the chiefs pulled this off just because they are who they are. They're a dynasty for a reason, or at least Pat, uh, Kelsey and Andy Reid at coach are a uh, dynasty. The defense is much better than it has been in their previous uh, years better. where they've uh, even won Super Bowls before. So I would not be shocked if they win, but I think I have to stick with my preseason pick. I'm going to go Ravens 27, 24 and just an all out battle. I'm kind of mad that it's the first game of the day. I feel like this should have been the afternoon game though. Yeah, this is like a lot of people on uh, all the talking heads on TV kind of are, I guess, in agreement that this is the winner. The winner of this game should win the Super Bowl. So in essence, this is almost the Super Bowl. I know they got to play the game. I'm not trying to put down any uh, of the NFC teams. Uh, But yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I agree with you with, um, oh my gosh, what was his name? The linebacker that you said? Rokon Smith. Roquan Smith. Him uh, and having Patrick Queen there is similar to that Terrell uh, Suggs-Ray Lewis combo that you talked about. They have uh, number 14. I forgot his name right now, but that's like, you know, their strong corner or or not the strong corner, but like a good corner. Hamilton. Yes, thank you. Um, It's similar to like an Ed Reed style in the DB. I know Ed Reed was a safety, but uh, so they got there. They know the building blocks of a great defense. And the other caveat to that is as much as Patrick Mahomes was able to get through Miami and able to get through Buffalo, weird that he only played the NFC East up or AFC East up until this point. That's true. I didn't think about that. Every single one of those teams were missing key pieces on defense. Nobody is missing for the Ravens. They have everybody they need. They have the team built a very certain way. Uh, Ryan Clark was talking about it today or yesterday on NFL Live. I'm sorry, on GetUp. And uh, they were talking about how the center of it, the the line and the linebackers are, as much as linebackers have seemingly become less significant in the in today's NFL game because there's so much more passing, uh, receivers and backs are just way too agile for some of the uh, linebackers there. It's still... They, they think that they're going to be able to make that difference. Um, that's The heart of the team is right in the middle of the field, and so it looks like Patrick Mahomes is going to have to play outside the numbers. Uh, it's going to be hard for Isaiah Pacheco to get yardage running up the middle like he was able to the past few weeks. So, you know, it's going to be pretty reliant on Patrick Mahomes. A funny stat, not a funny stat, a weird stat that I actually had seen. This is actually going to be the first ever playoff matchup between two former MVPs, both under the age of 30 in Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Another added uh, benefit for the Ravens on this one is uh, Mark Andrews was just activated off the IR, so he'll be ready to roll. Uh, That twin tight end set with Isaiah Likely and Mark Andrews, when they already have Zay Flowers and OBJ attracting some attention on the outside, is going to be pretty lethal. 
I know that the run game isn't as dominant as it has been previously, but Lamar Jackson can take off for 60 at any point. So you got to just be careful. You're basically going to be spying him pretty much the entire time. Uh, but, but the cool thing is now not in the same speed, but the Chiefs planned for that last week when they played Josh Allen. They constantly had a, a spy on him because he's also one that can kind of get out of the pocket and make plays if necessary. Um, I, I do believe the Ravens should win. The NFL is, of course, rigged and planned for the Ravens and the <laughs> Niners to be in it. So um, because, you know, the Super Bowl thing. Well, I have a little caveat to that one once we cover the other game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do. I'm with you. I think the Ravens win. I'll be rooting for the Chiefs, though, for sure. Still, like I said, you know, say it time and time again. Big dynasty guy. So rooting for him. But I do think and I think the, I think it's going to be a little bit bigger uh, because this defense is pretty stout. I'm going Ravens 28 20. Wow. Okay. Either you have them covering the spread. I mean, the spread's only three and a half, which essentially is a toss up because when you're the home team, you usually get a field goal. Right <coughs> so it's technically a half point spread at that as at, at the end of the day. So, ah, man, I'm just, it's Baltimore's first home game for an AFC title game as well. Even though they've won two Super Bowls previously, they've done both of those wins on the road in the AFC title game. So hmm. uh, I did read that. I think Ray Lewis is going to be there. Ed Reed's going to be there pregame. Uh, T Payne's going to be there. There's going to be just, yeah. The sideline is going to be even more, I don't know, just out of control than most games we've seen. Uh, Like I said, I'm going with the Ravens, but I don't feel great about that because I just it's hard to pick against Mahomes and the Chiefs. They're just so good. And the fact that they've been to six straight AFC title games alone tells you, like, when it comes playoff time, they figure out a way to get it done. Now, you did mention they're going against a defense that's fully healthy compared to what they went against the uh, Bills and the Dolphins. So I get Mm -hmm. that, but I don't know, man. It's just... uh, it's hard to pick against the Chiefs, but again, my preseason pick was Ravens to win the whole thing and Lamar to get MVP. Looks like I got one of those right so far, and I'm hoping I get the second one right with the Ravens getting all the way. You know, that hoopla that you're talking about, all these people showing up and T-Pain performing. I think Michael Phelps is supposed to be there because oh, yeah, he's, he's from Baltimore, Baltimore too. So uh, the only thing is like, man, they sure are planning for a party. Like they feel like they've True. already won. Either one, they know something that the NFL is rigged, of course, like I can say, <laughs> and they are going to win, or two – They're overlooking the Chiefs a little bit. Now, the players themselves would never say that, and obviously John Harbaugh wouldn't either. But, damn, that seems to be pretty celebratory, don't you think, for just hosting an AFC title game? Yeah. I don't know. I just – I would be careful um, because Patrick Mahomes will use anything to put on the bulletin board as something. You know, he he made a point, as you can see on the thumbnail for the previous video that we said, the Bills asked for it, and they got what they asked for. So, you know, kind of planning this party without technically saying that you're celebrating anything could turn into bulletin board material. There's plenty of people who have been saying that Patrick Mahomes is Jordan-esque in more ways than just his play and also creating false narratives to in, to be able to drive up his, you know, competitive spirit and that of his team as well. So it's going to be a good game for sure. I'm excited for it. And I couldn't agree more. I wish it was the night game. Not that I'm doing yeah. anything on Sunday per se, but uh, it'd be cooler if it was the afternoon game. The only thing I could think about is obviously it's in Baltimore and the other one's in San Francisco. So it's completely oh. opposite coasts. Yeah, that's... That's, a, that's a good point. I guess that kind of makes sense then. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> it would be easier to do the East Coast game first compared to the West Coast. Right, right. I mean, then they'd be playing. Now, granted, the the, the afternoon game starts at 3.30, so that'd be 6.30. That's a nice night game in Baltimore. But, you know, depending on how cold yeah. it would be, I you can't have a twelve o'clock game on the West Coast live at, at for football because nobody plays before one p.m. ever, let alone the West Coast, especially. So I guess in that sense it makes sense, but I still think it is a missed opportunity for having this be the nightcap, like the Baltimore. I mean, like the Chiefs and Bills last week, which exactly. I think they, said they talked There's about New York. Was the, 
the highest rated NFL game, not a Super Bowl, uh, on in at, at any time in history of the league. So I wouldn't be shocked if that number kind of uh, you know gets beat this weekend with this because this is the matchup we've all wanted to see. I mean, even though I picked the Ravens in preseason to win the Super Bowl, I did pick them to go to Lamb or to uh, Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs in the AFC title game. So I did get the matchup right. I just got the stadium wrong of who was the one seed and who was the visiting team. But not bad though. I just, I just hope it's a good game and not something where Same. one team runs away with it and it doesn't make. Which any can sense. happen, uh, in my it's opinion, it would only be Baltimore that runs away with it, though. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the Chiefs, if their offense, if their defense shows up and does great against Jackson and them and slows them down, then the Chiefs' offense will have a chance to kind of get their win going. But if they get down early, although the Chiefs have been down big before, but not against a defense like this. This is a whole, whole another ball game and. You know, they did go to Buffalo last week and went on the road for the first time in Pat Mahomes' career in the playoffs, but I feel like Baltimore, we saw when they played the Texans last week, there was a lot of false starts early. Now, a younger team, I understand that, but still, if it's loud in there and the and the Chiefs can't get their you know offense situated and, and rolling, it could be a long day, but I just it's hard to go against Pat and see if him not having a good day and at least giving them an opportunity to win this near the end. To your point about uh, Patrick Mahomes not really caring about whether or not he's down, I uh, just looked this up because I had heard something about it. I didn't know the exact record. Uh, when trailing by seven or more points in the playoffs in the last five seasons, Patrick Mahomes is eight and one. Oh my god! The rest of the NFL in that same time span is eleven and fifty-three. So, oh. which is a point one seven two win percentage, and Patrick Mahomes is checking in at that eighty at point eight eight nine win percentage, almost eighty-nine percent of the time. So, wow. again, even if they're down, they are not out. Uh, but this one might be a little bit bigger, you know, competition to try to overcome. Both of us are taking the Ravens. I have them by eight. You've got them by three. And uh, yeah, I guess it's on to figure out <clears throat> who they're going to play. Lions and Niners in Santa Clara, oh, Sunday man. afternoon, 3.30 p.m. start. Um, I know you technically had the Niners going to the Super Bowl, so I'll ask you again. Are you sticking with your preseason picks? Dude, these two games, even though I picked the two winners to get to this point, <laughs> on, I, I am torn because I just, I feel like, well, one, there's no excuses for the Niners at this time. Purdy's coming in healthy. Debo is playing as of today. He was a full go at practice, so there's no issue of them not having all their, you know, weapons to work with. Um, but the Lions have no pressure on them. They're not supposed to be no. here. They're going on the road. Everyone's picking the Niners against them. So, if you're the if you're, the biggest matchup I think that nobody's really talking about, at least I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, is going to be Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end for the Lions, going against the left tackle Trent Williams for the Niners. Trent Williams is one of, if not the best left tackle in all of football, and Hutchinson is a real young, good defensive end and has caused havoc. I mean, he had a couple nice hits, especially that one on uh, Baker last week that just knocked him over, and and it ultimately was a sack. So that's the biggest matchup. And if they can get if they can get to Purdy early, ah, that rhymes. That's funny. Um, and not let them kind of do their thing that they do. I feel like Goff, you know, Goff, having played for the Rams for a long time, has a career against the Niners that he knows them very well. Now, I know he hasn't played in the division in a couple years, but the same core coordinators and, and the way they play, and Bosa especially, have been there a lot of the time that he played against them. Now, in his career, he's three and six against them, so it's not great. But it does have to be a little beneficial when you're the Lions going into this and prepping and and getting your offensive game plan ahead of time when you kind of know, or at least Goff knows more than they do probably, what to expect from the defense and what they're able to do and what they might do against him based on previous matchups. But yeah, at the end of the day, man, I, I just feel like the Niners are going to figure this out. I think the biggest thing is they're at home. If they were in Detroit, I'd probably feel a little better going with Goff and them. But I just feel like being at home, the Niners know 
this might be their last shot as far as getting to a Super Bowl with this group of guys. Eventually, the cap situation is going to hit them. I know Lynch has been fantastic working through it the last five or six years, but I feel like at some point, they're going to have to be over the cap and start letting guys go and redo this whole team and the way they're situated. So I feel like the Niners might win this. Again, I don't think it's going to be a runaway. Real, no, go real ahead. quick. I want to I want second, because I, I want to go off of what you said before I forget it. There's another great matchup, actually. I agree with you. I couldn't agree more between Lent, uh, Lent Trent Williams <laughs> and Aiden Hutchinson. But let's switch it. Panay Sewell was actually graded as the highest rated tackle just in front of Trent Williams this year, according to PFF, taking on Nick Bosa. So there's going to be that that okay. that strong offensive lineman against a strong defensive lineman on both sides of the ball. So I just want to kind of add that. Sorry. No, that that is a very good point. I didn't even think about Sewell. That he's yeah, he's damn good too. Again, mm-hmm. the Lions have done a really good job of drafting and have a lot of young guys have kind of built this team up. I know the uh, GM of them got voted as one of the executive of the year uh, possibility winners this year. So. Tip, hat, hat tipped off to him to getting this team and put together and he used to work for the Rams. So the fact that he trusted in Goff and got him <laughs> over with him shows that he uh, obviously has a lot of, had a lot of high praise for Goff. And, you know, again, Goff being to a Super Bowl before, I feel like is in again, another beneficial thing for him over Purdy. Purdy has not been to the big game yet. And I think Goff, if he's able to get this win for the lions would be the second or the fifth quarterback to take two different franchises to a Super Bowl appearance. Wow, so again, nice. A little bit of a positive side on Goff's, uh, in, but again, I just think the Niners are going to win this game 27-20. I don't think it's going to be a runaway in any way, even though the Lions' defense, especially on the back end, isn't as good. Although Garner Johnson has has back and obviously played a role last week with his interception, even if it was a tipped one. <laughs> yeah. It still counts in the stats. Um, yep. But yeah, I think the Lions hang in, but I think the Niners ultimately get this win. Yeah, that's a pretty good assessment. Um, I have a stat. Let me throw this out for you. Lions were the only team this year to not allow a single running back to go over 70 yards the entire season. Wow, okay. okay. McCaffrey had 12 games where he had more than 70 yards. Wow. Something's got to give in this one, don't you think? I mean, it's just the other thing that I I had heard over uh, over this week, and Ryan Clark actually was one of the few analysts that I seen that actually said, he thinks that the Lions can and will pull this off, Oof. is that uh, they're more of a bend-don't-break kind of defense. They do give up yards, so Purdy's going to be able to throw the ball, but are they going to be able to put it in the end zone? Unless they're getting a big play from Debo or a huge play from Christian or Ayuk is open deep, you know they're, they're going to struggle as they get towards the red zone. And, and to be fair, so will the Lions. The Niners' defense, as you saw against the Packers in the previous week, were able to shut down Jordan Love <clears throat> unless it was a long play. True. Once they got into the into the red zone, it was very difficult for the Packers to score. And they're playing another NFC North team again this week. That'd be, that's kind of weird. Now the Niners are playing two NFC North teams. Yeah. The Chiefs played two AFC East teams. Um, so yeah, something's got to give. Debo coming back is good for the Niners and is, is one of the X factors that I think really pushes the Niners over the top. If Debo was going to be out, I would feel a little bit stronger in picking the Lions. Yeah, um, but that. again, the Niners should win. The NFL is rigged, and they already planned for the Niners and the Ravens to be in the Super Bowl, <laughs> like we talked about. Uh, Goff's still better than Purdy. I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm not. That's not a knock on uh, Brock Purdy. That's just everybody said the same thing about Jimmy Garoppolo until they didn't. You know. So uh, I think the biggest thing, and this is what Ryan Clark said too. Damn, I'm just pulling a lot from Ryan Clark. I agree hey, with Ryan him a lot. Clark this knows week. what he's talking about. He wants to see. Dude, uh, he does. Yeah, he definitely does. Um, we're going to figure out exactly what the Niners think of Brock Purdy when his contract's up and when it's time to pay him. Uh, do they move on and say, you know what, let me go see if we could grab somebody else in the draft? Or do they say, you know what, this is the guy that we need. 
we're we're throwing tons of because he deserves the money. Being picked last, he doesn't. It's not like he got a great contract. You know what I mean? So I don't even think he's a million dollars. (laughs) No, he's not. It's he makes nine hundred thousand dollars this year. So it's easy to to be in love with a quarterback where you don't even have to pay a million dollars and you can have a hundred million dollar defense on the other side. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, um, with great weapons like McCaffrey and Debo. So, you know, a little bit easy. I'm not saying that it's easy for Purdy. You still have to make the throws. You still have to, you know, be aware. You still have to study the playbook, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I think it's just a little bit easier in that Shanahan offense. Again, we talked about it countless times. Matt Ryan had the best career of his – best season of his entire career with Mike Shan- – or Mike. I keep on going Mike. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan at the helm uh, in at the offensive coordinator position in Atlanta. So, um, again, if he could take Brock Purdy, Jimmy Garoppolo, and – put them all in to, to become, you know, another NFC champion possibly, then I think anything can happen. Again, it's rigged. Niners win 31-27. Okay, so we both have it as a close game. Like <laughs> I think the spread is seven. I have them basically covering it in at a sense that. of like getting two and seven. You have it getting uh, not covered at all. So, and, and, and that's all I really want. I just want both these games to be good. Um, and, you know, again, this is the same thing with this matchup as the first one. My head tells me to pick the Niners because that's what I went with preseason. But my heart kind of tells me, like, that'd be cool if the Lions won and got to a Super Bowl. Even if they – I mean, they've never been to one. It, I mean, it'd be great to see Barry Sanders. I know Barry Sanders is going to be on the sideline probably this weekend in Santa Clara. But, man, would it be great to see him and Megatron even on the sideline at a Super Bowl for the Lions and Goff and an opportunity to kind of right his wrong from when the year they uh, the Rams lost to the Patriots. Yeah, uh, and, and, and I know you don't mean it like that. But it's a great, like, play on words. <clears throat> but, you know – it was it was a lot of McVay getting out coached, not necessarily, you know, uh, Goff doing terrible. Uh, I wanted to bring up, though, I told you before before we started, I had seen a video. So I'll conclude, or we, unless you have other notes, we'll conclude the I'm championship games with this. As everybody has probably seen, the Super Bowl is already picked right ahead of time because of the colors that are in the logo, starting with the Bengals-Rams, the eagles uh Chiefs last year, and of course this year with the Ravens Niners <clears throat> with the purple and red. The other, some somebody made a video and made this note. Whatever team has the least amount of color in the logo ended up winning. There was very little yellow in the LA logo, and that's when the Rams won. There was very little red in the Arizona logo. There's a ton of teal or green, and that's when the Chiefs won. And there's a ton of purple in this logo, oh, no. which means there's very little red, which means the stupid Niners are probably good. Because, <laughs> again, the NFL is rigged. <clears throat> so we I'm shall see. Uh, yeah, yeah, we shall see. Uh, but we're not even to the Super Bowl yet. Right now we are, again, finishing this championship weekend, and it's, it's going to be a big one. It's going to be good. I think it's going to be good. I hope it's a, two great games, and I hope I'm right in my picks because, again, I had the Niners and Ravens in the Super Bowl to begin with in August <clears> when we did our preseason picks. but. I would be okay with Chiefs and Lions. I mean, Lions in the Super Bowl, again, would just be a, a great heartfelt story. The city of Detroit just would be, I mean. After a Michigan win. Yeah, I would say Michigan wins the national title, and less than a month later, the Lions could be in the Super Bowl with an opportunity to win their first one. It would be great, but I'm going Niners and Ravens. Yeah. How about them Pistons? How are they doing? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> they, they deserve something not bad, I guess, if you can have two exactly, teams right? as well in other sports. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, we'll move on from the games, uh, but we'll keep ring, we'll keep it with that idea of Michigan. We're yep. going to move into the NFL notes, and we're going to jump right into it. The biggest story this week was obviously former Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh is signing uh, what we think. We don't really know the, the actual deal yet. Set to coach the Los Angeles Chargers. 
Oh my gosh. As a, as a, someone who's trying to be an LA football fan and me not really being able to like the Rams because I kind of like the Cardinals. I am pumped for this, bro. Um, five-year deal rumors are what between 13 and 18 million dollars a year but uh i just i'm just stoked to see what he could do he is he is a culture changer and i'm excited for him to change the losing cursed culture of the san diego slash los angeles chargers oh man i i'm with you i i i was so afraid that the Chargers and the Spanoses, because they just their history is to not do the right thing when it's so obvious in front of them. But this time they finally got it right. They got the second interview with Harbaugh. The talk was he was going to go to Atlanta and interview with them a second time. But instead of that, they didn't let him out of the building. They get him to agree to come in. Uh, I'm with you. I mean, Harbaugh everywhere he goes, even if it's more not more than five or six years in most locations, because it tends to be one of those he runs <clears throat> runs it thin after a few years. But typically in the third, second to third year is where he really makes the big turn, although Michigan took a little longer. But they did get into the college football playoff the last three years Gosh, and then ultimately yeah. won this year. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, it's hard. I mean, the Chargers are actually going to be talked about in a good uh, way and not just in L.A. now, like they're going to get some publicity here, but also nationally because Harbaugh's going to bring that attention. Uh, one of the things I already talked about is they're going to face the Ravens next year at SoFi. So we get a Harbaugh bowl right off the nice. bat first year, which will be fun. Um, See, NFL is totally great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm again, if you're a Chargers fan, which there's not a lot of them, there might be a lot more now. Um, I would be kind of interested to see how many people from San Diego who kind of went against the Chargers once they left now kind of come back. I mean, Harbaugh did play for them down in San Diego for a year Mm -hmm. in the late nineties. So there is a connection there to some of those fans. And maybe the fact that the Spanoses did something right and got the right guy at the right time, instead of just giving it to some young coach who had no experience previously, it's hard not to root for them and think that they can actually, I mean, now there is a little bit of an issue is they're going to be 20 million over the cap before the season starts. So there are going to be some changes on the roster, but I think the fact that he's there, you have Herbert locked up, so you have a quarterback. It's more of like, once you get under the cap, what guys are going to be willing to take less maybe to come play because they know Harbaugh is going to be a difference maker and change that exactly. completely and change, again, the, the coverage of this team and this organization. Which the Chargers haven't had in ever. I mean, Gosh. maybe they did with the, what, North Turner and, and Phillip Rivers and LT down down in San Diego. Was North Turner there? I yeah, he was the coach there right? after yeah. they fired Chargers. <clears throat> Going fourteen to yeah. two, but yeah, North Turner had Gates and Philip Rivers and LT at their prime, and they were they had a good five or six years where they were you know at least 10, 12 wins and getting into the playoffs. Ultimately, not mm-hmm. doing anything once they got there, but this is the not. first time I think that other people actually have some expectations. Now, the expectations might be a little high for the first year, but with Harbaugh there, he's not going to care what the expectations are outside the doors. We've seen what no. he did in Michigan, even no, though the sure. expectations were through the roof there. He just goes about doing his business. And what does the Harbaugh family say? Who has it better than us? Nobody. Nobody. So if you're the Chargers, yeah. you got to be stoked. Super stoked. Uh, somewhat of a Chargers fan again, trying to be one. So I am stoked. A couple notes on, on his career. When he first uh, started coaching, he led San Diego, University of San Diego, to the first ever PFL conference titles. Wow. He led Stanford to their first ever BCS Bowl victory. He led the Niners, who are already a decorated franchise, to their first playoff appearance since 1994, and I believe that was, what, 2010 or something like that? So yeah. that was you know, about 15, 20 years almost. He also obviously just recently led Michigan to their first ever college football playoff title. So he is kind of a somewhat of a person who leads things to firsts. Um, I think the main question is here, does Jim Harbaugh get the Chargers to their first or possible Super Bowl, uh, not first, but win? or win an AFC championship game, does Jim Harbaugh get the Chargers to the AFC championship game? Now, 
Okay, the contract is five years. I would think the second or third year would be when it happens. Like I said, the first year, I think it's going to be an improvement. They'll probably make the playoffs. I don't know if they'll win the division, depending on what happens with the Chiefs, because there's rumors of if they go off and win it, that maybe Andy Reid retires, and that could change the way they do things. But if he comes, I mean, if he comes back, look at the coaches in the AFC West alone. Uh, Pierce obviously is in Vegas with the Raiders. You'd have Harbaugh here. You have Sean Payton in Denver, and then Andy Reid in Kansas City. So it's not going to be an easy cakewalk to even win the division, but if they can get into the wild card spot and even win a playoff game next year, I think that's a start of the, of moving in the right direction for the team and the organization. And then again, if he does get them moving in that direction, maybe the following off season is really when they're able to get a lot of guys to come in and continue building on the culture that he started. I know there's been talk of maybe David Shaw who coached Stanford after uh, Harbaugh left coming in as the offensive coordinator. I know they're interviewing all different kinds of people for the coordinating positions right now. I I gotta think they're gonna get to at least an AFC title game in the five years that he's there. What do you do? You think they could do that? I think and they can too. Um, it's 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 a big task, especially in the AFC. That is, in my opinion, obviously the way better conference. The teams are stacked between obviously the Chiefs that we've talked about, the Bills, the um, I mean Burrow coming, the Dolphins, in. yeah, the Bengals, the Steelers, the Ravens, because the Steelers, if they could freaking figure out a quarterback position, you know, <laughs> they could actually do something. The Browns, the Texans, I know, sorry, uh, the Jags, if they could figure out what the heck they're doing. So the AFC is loaded. So, but, but I do think that he is that type of presence that can kind of get them over the hump. I'm gonna say yes within the time frame that he is there, unless something catastrophic happens, right? Uh, yeah, then I, you know, it, it's career ending injury knock on wood for Justin Herbert just something catastrophic i do think that he'll be able to do so yeah um oh, i think yeah. Oh, dude i'm so stoked side, charger, side note uh, charger games uh, went from like going to be more probably visiting fans than at every game but i think it might kind of even out on some games there still will be some teams chiefs come in raiders come in will there be more fans for them than the, the chargers but i feel like this has got to be a stepping stone in the right direction i feel like a lot of michigan got fans are going to now jump onto the charger bandwagon and just follow harbaugh uh, it, it's just going to be interesting to see what they do. And I know that the Chargers have one of the best social media teams. They've talked about this for the last couple of years. And you only got to think that's going to get even better with all the material that Harbaugh is going to give them. Ton. All of his pad hitting of the quarterback before <laughs> the freaking game and stuff like that. So it's pretty crazy. They had like a highlight reel of him doing that with pretty much every single quarterback. Andrew Luck at Stanford, Colin Kaepernick in San Fran, J.J. McCarthy over uh, at Michigan. So that's like his thing. Um, side note, speaking of Michigan, uh, they did – promote uh, offensive coordinator Sharon Moore to their head coach today. So that's good. Great for him. He did a great job in the three games that Harbaugh was suspended, won all three, including the Ohio state game. So huge, huge promotion for him and, and best of luck to them. Obviously he's, he's no Jim Harbaugh, but you know, I learned, he learned a lot from him and I definitely think he's going to obviously try to instill everything that he did uh, learn from him. So uh, side note on that, but congrats, congrats to Sharon Moore. Yeah, and, and you got to think, too, because Alabama was one of those. They took a new coach outside the system instead of promoting somebody within, and then the transfer portal thing opened up, and a lot of guys have come and gone. Now that they've named him as the, quarter, uh, the coach, I would think that Michigan will have to open the portal in general because you get 30 days to decide after a coaching change. But you got to think with the continuity of them keeping somebody within the, org within the program already will help them keep a lot of those guys. Now, they're going to lose a lot of people to the NFL to draft. draft. That's, right, yeah. that's going to happen regardless of who's their coach. Yeah, very true, very true. Still go blue. <laughs> All right. I'm excited about the Chargers, but we will we will move on. Um, another head coach hiring, a couple more actually. We're going to start with the Bucks, though. Uh, they – no. 
No, the other way around. Sorry, the Panthers. The Panthers are hiring the Buccaneers offensive coordinator, Dave Canales, as their head coach. There wasn't a lot of freaking options in, um, at least in my opinion, for the Carolina Panthers on this one. So, and, that, and that's not a really knock at Dave Canales. He he spent this this was his first season really in any sort of coordinator job beyond high school, uh, behind, beyond beyond high school football. And he was the he was the Bucks coordinator for for Bay, Baker Mayfield's resurgence. So, yeah. uh, I mean, it is what it is. It gives him a shot. And again, I don't think there was a lot of people really clamoring for the job, even though there might have been a handful of interviews. So, good luck to him. I mean, maybe he could do something with Bryce Young. Yeah, absolutely. You gotta hope so. At least, I mean, he, he got a. What, I think I heard he got a six year deal when all was said and done. Which, if you're the if you're going to the Panthers, I don't know why they went six year deal on him because knowing their owner, he might be fired after like a year or two years, but you're right. The fact that he was able to get Baker Mayfield kind of on a resurgence and, and showing that, you know, the offense that he coordinated with him works does have a good uh, thing for Bryce young. But I think the interesting part is, is if you look at Canales's like career, now you talked about from high school, he actually was a uh, athletic trainer, I think of some sort or strength coach with SC back when Pete Carroll was there his last year. And then he followed him to Seattle and worked with him until 2022 until he took over the coordinator job last year in Tampa Bay. So a lot of, a lot of ideas and probably youthful way of thinking compared to some coaches that uh, other guys have worked with, you know, Pete Carroll just tends to hire all the good people around him and they tend to spawn off and do their own thing and do well. I think this is another thing, but uh, another part of it too, is the new GM that the Panthers hired, which was their assistant GM last year. So Dan Morgan, worked with Canales in Seattle as well while he was in the scouting department and pro per- personnel for the Seahawks. So hmm. there's a lot of continuity there and probably the same way of thinking. But again, good luck with Tepper, man. I don't know what to tell you down there. It's it's funny you say that because the Bleacher Report article that kind of made the, the announcement, I, I love clicking and reading the first few comments. And the first one was, over under 1.5 seasons. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm shocked they gave him a six-year deal. Yeah, that was the first. Hey, whatever. He'll get paid regardless. So oh, I know. But, to him. Um, but the first comment was under. That was under. <laughs> <laughs> I will not uh, be yeah, shocked, we'll unfortunately. I mean, when your owner's throwing drinks at random fans for the other team, that's not the best look. So, yeah. Absolutely. We did show that. Check out one of our previous episodes where we talk about that. It was a uh, bad look for them. Bad look for them. Moving on, because the Panthers are terrible. <laughs> Falcons hiring Rams former de- defensive coordinator Raheem Morris as their head coach. They have decided to not go the Belichick route, which, to be honest with you, I think is extremely smart. I, yeah. I'm I'm not a Falcons fan, but I think that is the the best thing that they probably could have done is to not uh, stick with Bill. He's not the same thing. He's he used to win just because he. It's funny. I'm going to say this again. Ryan Clark said, just because he used to be or is the greatest coach of all time doesn't mean he's the greatest coach right now. Um, yeah, and you can obviously see that from the previous Patriots seasons where he, well, wasn't. You know, he he ruined Mac Jones. Mac Jones got worse the longer he was with yep. uh, Bill Belichick. Now, granted, it might have been the offensive coordinator, which was the defensive coordinator who decided he randomly knew how to work on the offense. So that I won't ever understand. Uh, but yeah, I think it's great. Had been the Rams defensive coordinator for the past three years, in- including the one where they won the Super Bowl against the Bengals. Uh, great opportunity for him too. It's not the terrible team. The only thing they really need to figure out is, well, I don't think so, but if Desmond Ritter can play and if not, who will? Yeah, absolutely. It's the quarterback position. That's where it's going to start. But the fact, like we talked about, the Atlanta was what, eight and, eight and nine or nine and eight this year? They were right, or seven and 10, I think maybe because that last seven and 10. Yep. 
Um, their defense wasn't really that bad. So the fact <clears> that he Morris can come in and kind of improve them. And again, if they can get a quarterback situation under control, I think that they got weapons. Idea. Plus I think Raheem Morris coming in instead of Belichick, he's a little more uh, youthful and, and has, exactly. I mean, the, he did coach before he was the head coach of the Buccaneers in 2009 to 2011 when Gruden was fired and left there. But again, that was a that was a team that was completely out of control and torn down at that point. And he went twenty one and thirty eight in those three years. I don't really blame that on him. Plus, it was his first no. time as a head coach. He went to work with Sean McVay the last couple of years. Probably learned a little bit more, and now is a little more understanding of what There's is expected more. and what to do in order to make a team winning. It does help going to the NFC South too, because even though the Buccaneers won the division, they only went nine and eight or whatever. So it's not like they True. were the division is you know stacked with a bunch of talent. Uh, Derek Baker Carson just lost a bunch of the coordinator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Mike Evans is a free agent, so who knows who comes back there. So it, it, it kind of leaves a, a little more opportunity for Raheem and him to be able to coach and actually win maybe. I think it's a good hire overall, and I'm with you. I think the Belichick thing wouldn't have made sense with him kind of not really being an offensive. Not that Raheem Morris is. He's a defensive coordinator. But, again, being more youthful and open to ideas compared to what Belichick is. Plus, Belichick would have probably wanted more say on the drafting and, and yes. the organizational it's side. Which the last few years he showed he is not good at that, if not longer than that. I think Raheem's mm-hmm. just going to worry about coaching and let the front office do their thing. I think it's they're good at all around. Yeah, they have great weapons. Bajon Robinson and Tyler Allinger in the backfield. They got Kyle Pitts on the as tight end. They got Drake London out as a wideout. They have weapons too, so they're not too far away. Again, I guess everyone's really far away when you don't have a starting quarterback, but I think this is a great fit for him. And again, like you had mentioned, granted, he was obviously worrying about the defense, but just being around Sean McVay, you're going to learn something, not only just about coaching in general and how to be a head coach, but you're going to be your defense, right? Practices against his offense. You're going to learn something about that offense and, and how, you know, and McVeigh obviously knows what he's doing. So yeah, I think it's a great, co- uh, great Don't hire. be shocked if Bajan Robinson has a really good year. Cause remember Todd Gurley, when he was in his younger years in, in McVeigh's system was the best running back in the league for a couple of years. So hopefully well, they don't run him to the ground. Like, Gurley. no, don't do that. But, <laughs> have, but again, Kyle Pitts and Drake London, like you talked about, maybe they kind of re, situate the way they run things and if they can just get somebody at quarterback besides Ritter because I'm with you I don't think he's the answer I mean they're not going to draft anybody because they're they're what do you think about good but Russell Wilson that would be I mean it'd be a nice veteran presence to have uh I think Kyle Pitts at tight end would be a big uh big part of that because usually if you're a veteran well younger quarterbacks tend to rely on their tight ends but Russell Wilson is not usually not his big arm like he used to be when he was younger. So I think having a tight end like that and Bajan out of the backfield would be a huge benefit for him. Now you just, just got to get him it. for the rest of his contract. Get maybe draft somebody like you said, even if it's not a high, and work him yeah, up. Yeah, you know? yeah. learn, learn. Yeah, I don't know. I think that might be out there. Just uh, something out there. Yeah. You know? Also, don't count out Justin Fields. Who would you rather have? Oh, because again, not long term. Yeah. Because long-term, obviously, you're picking the younger quarterback. That, that's an easy one. Like, they're not the same age. They're not in the same. But they also, in my opinion, aren't the same skill level. Russell Wilson had a resurgence, in my opinion, last year um, from his failed season the previous year. So uh, who the would you other rather name to look out for, though? If I had to pick between for those, like I think I'm more Russell. Window. But the other one I would okay. put count out is, depending on how he comes back from injury, is Kirk Cousins. I think he'd be perfect. Kirk Cousins. Agree. Agree. Although I really love him slinging that freaking ball to Justin Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> That's just because you're fantasy, but you might not have Justin Jefferson. Yeah, I do. I just like Justin Jefferson. It really doesn't even have to do with my fan. I don't have to have him on my team unless he's on the opposing team than, uh, you know, something else. But yeah, it should be good. Good for him. Uh, congrats to Raheem Morris. 
going to stick with the coaching. This one's not necessarily a new hire, uh, but the Eagles have decided to go ahead and keep Nick Sirianni as the head coach. I kind of get this, dude. I mean, just because yeah. you had like a falling apart, you're not going to tear apart the entire thing. He took you to the Super Bowl. You started 10-1. and one. Granted, you lost a bunch of games at the end of the season, got blown out, and you're on the road. Uh, granted, that's the only saving grace is, well, we were in Tampa. Yeah, granted, but they suck. So, and you know, Jalen Hurts wasn't healthy at that point either. So there is a AJ Brown was out, you know, uh, all sorts of all sorts of things. So, um the only the only thing is is you know Jason Kelsey obviously retired, so it's not going to be the same team coming back. And the other thing is that defensive coordinator Vic Fangio was uh, left the um, Dolphins, so they're bringing in a new defensive coordinator for the Eagles. He's supposed to be that one coming through. Apparently, he worked as a consultant for the Eagles in 2022. Um, eh, I'm not, you know, go Eagles. I guess this is for art, you know. Woo woo. But <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we'll see where this goes. They. They aren't winning the division next year. Oh, wait. No, they might. The Cowboys aren't winning the division. That's right. You can't win back-to-back. That doesn't happen in the NFC East. <laughs> what do you think about the hire, dude? I mean, about I the keeping. I think it's good. Like you said, they just went to a Super Bowl, and they started 10-1. and So it's not like Sirianni completely lost and forgot how to, how to coach the team. I think injuries, like you said, played a big part, and Jalen Hurts not having a healthy hand to throw with in the uh, playoff game definitely played a part of it. And with Fangio, I mean, the Dolphins, once they got healthy and got Jalen Ramsey in the middle of the year, they were one of the better defenses the rest of the season. So Fangio actually knows, you know, knows what he's doing on that side. I think with the talent the Eagles have on that side, it, yes. um, side especially that no freaking sense. front seven. Exactly. It makes no sense that they completely fell apart. And obviously the coaching had a big uh, role in that. So I think Fangio coming in, being a more veteran uh, coordinator on that side of the ball will definitely help. And I think the Eagles are probably right back into a division title run next year, if not into a wild card spot for sure. It's going to be exciting, um, at least for Eagles fans. So we'll see. I mean, he's definitely going to be on the hot seat, though, obviously. Like, if they have either a bad start or another meltdown, Eagles Eagles brass isn't necessarily the pa- the most patient. They they won a Super Bowl and moved on from the head coach. So um, True. he's going to be on the somewhat of a hot seat. Again, I'm not saying he loses week one and then he's going to get fired, right? But – yeah, you definitely can't start three and six, or you know, even start ten and one somehow and blow it again. That would that would leave a really bad taste, and now, I don't I don't think Philly would go for it. Do you think that part of the Fangio thing is is if they do get off to a rough start early and they decide to let Sirianni go? Fangio has been a coach before on his own elsewhere, and obviously has the experience that he can kind of step in and be the interim for the rest of the year. Is that maybe part of their thinking too? I mean, yeah, that could be it. I, I he wasn't very successful, um, but. To your point, it's still experienced nonetheless. Uh, I don't know. The weird thing is, I don't remember the stat off the top of my head, but when they actually, the Eagles changed defensive coordinators and defensive play callers midway through the season. And by midway, I think after they were 10 and one, or no, after they lost to Buffalo, right? Or no, no, they just beat Buffalo, but they didn't like it. Then they changed the defensive coordinators and then they lose a bunch of games. So why don't you just put the other guy back? That was just the guy that led you to ten and one. I, I don't quite understand it completely, especially since they, like we've talked about endlessly, acquired Kevin Byard from your team to to kind of shore up the back end of that defense, and it didn't seem to make a difference at all. So it's kind that. of weird to me that they. I forgot that I forgot everybody's name. Uh, obviously, the gentleman who took over has recently been fired, but. I don't know. It just seems kind of weird. But again, Fangio is good at defense. That's one thing that he has been good at. Uh, it's the head coaching gig that it's been mediocre at best. So I think you're talking about we'll Matt see. Patricia, those who they let go, right? Which is a fellow oh, yeah. Patriot Belichick guy, which none of the Belichick none of them tree ever does well. So if you're going to hire anybody, just hire Belichick himself. Don't worry about any of his guys. <laughs> they don't yeah, do hire the under the Reed or the Shanahan tree. Those are the That's two. The one you want to go to. 
Especially the Shanahan one. Jeez. Yeah, for real. <clears throat> we're going to kind of cover... Let's go over, man. There's been a lot of changes, obviously. There were... How, how many is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams that were looking for head coaches. Six of them have been filled. Let's kind of cover the ones that have been filled, and then let's talk about the two that are still missing. Obviously, the Chargers, like we talked about, we led the show with... Well, not the show, but the segment with... Uh, hired by the Charger, uh, Jim Harbaugh Chargers. Antonio Pierce is being brought back by the Raiders. Gerard Mayo was promoted from uh, for the Patriots. Brian Callahan, uh, offensive coordinator from the Bengals, oh. is going over to the Titans. Dave Canales, previous offensive coordinator for the Bucks, as we mentioned previously, is going to the Panthers. And as we obviously just recently talked about, Raheem Morris, defensive coordinator, previous defensive coordinator for the Rams, is going to the Falcons. The last two jobs are the Seahawks and the Commanders. If you were a head coach, which one would you want? Or do you think one is mm. better than the other? Well, I guess it depends on how, and this is a weird way to say, but I think it depends on the age of the coach. Because if you want to win now, I think the Seahawks are in a better position because Geno Smith's not great, but he's not terrible at quarterback. If you are thinking more of a younger coach and long-term building, I think the Commanders is a spot because they have a top pick, new uh, organization being run by ownership. Um, and, and just, they got uh, John Lynch's freaking sidekick as their GM. So they well, have somebody who did in San Fran. Yeah, knows how to build. So I think depending on who you are and, and where you're going now, I do think the Seahawks had a second interview with Dan Quinn, who used to be their D coordinator before he left to go coach the Falcons and then obviously the D coordinator for the Cowboys the last few years. Good luck. So I think that one might end up getting to him. But if I'm trying to pick which one, again, if I want to win now, I think Seattle's the closer of the two to winning now. But if you're a younger coach and you want an opportunity to build something and really kind of start from scratch, I think the commanders makes the best spot because, again, you have a top pick. You can get a quarterback. You can start to build an offense around the, and, and uh, that quarterback that you decide to build for the future. So it depends on what you're looking for as far as how old you are and what you want to do in coaching. I couldn't agree more, except to me, I would just – I think they're actually very similar in in what they are because – to your point about the commanders, they they have a really high draft pick, and they're going to get one of not Caleb Williams, but get one of the best unless they trade up. I guess it's possible. Yeah, true, uh, one of the best quarterbacks in this draft, which is a, what we're being told a heavily loaded draft. Now they also said that about the Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen <laughs> draft. Um, so you know can't can't really put too much stock into everything that the the pros on TV are saying. But I could I couldn't agree more. I would prefer the commanders' job, which I think is basically laid out and they're waiting for the Lions to to be done because it seems like offensive coordinator for the Lions, Ben Johnson, has pretty much got that in the bag from uh, the reports that I've been seeing uh, in, on the airwaves. So, which to be honest with you, is a great, I think is a great hire. Um, he He's obviously done wonders with the Lions offense. Now, they do have talent, so that is very helpful. It's not like yeah, he's turning right. Baker Mayfield into a pro bowler. Jared true. Goff a lot has of that been talent is young. Exactly. That's true. I mean, Laporta and Gibbs are literally rookies. Amon Ra has only been in the league, what, two or three years. So it's not the and, – and I forgot who the – Josh Reynolds or Josh, something like that off the top. He's been hurt for like a whole year, so he's really only played like one year too. So very good point. Panay Sewell, their best tackle, has only been in the league for like two years. So they do have a lot of young talent, which is something that they're going to definitely try to build over in Washington. I say that uh, they have Terry McLaurin and Brian Robinson. They have Josh Dotson. Um, and 
hopefully a brand new uh, quarterback that they're going to be drafting out of college this year. So I think it's perfectly slated for him. But I like your take on that. A little bit more win now for the Seahawks, a little bit more future building for the Commanders. But to be honest with you, I think these probably, besides the Chargers, in my opinion, the best job in the market was the Commanders. And that really is because of that top pick and the change in ownership. Tell me what Magic Johnson touches doesn't turn to gold. Tell me what. God, every single thing he buys into or is a part of, they tend to get into championships or just make and print money. So yeah, if I'm, yep. I'm, I'm with you. And like, you know, the commanders that being so young, like you said, with him being able to build an uh, offense that now Goff is not young. He's obviously a veteran and knows what he's doing, but again, all the mm-hmm. weapons around him are very young and able to kind of get them in the right direction and to an NFC title game, which no one had them before the season no. started. I think the commanders makes the best position for Johnson. A lot of people had him had them losing to the Rams in round one just because they thought, you know, Matt Stafford and Sean McVay, they're going to come over here and do – I mean, I might kind of one of them. So. Yeah. Uh, but they've surprised everybody. They've surprised everybody. And, you know, we talk about the Seahawks being in win now compared to the Commanders. It makes sense too because say the Niners don't win, they're going to be in cap hell and have to kind of resituate their whole thing. And with Purdy Gotta being in Chase quarterback, the Rams are going to be back and good. But, again, Stafford's a year older, and Cooper Cup, who knows if he's ever going to be the same. He was not nearly as good this year. They got Puka, bro. What you mean? They don't need I Cup. I'm, I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> bad, but I just, another year of figuring those guys out and having tape on them will definitely help. And, again, Stafford's getting older, and if he gets one or two big hits, he could miss a couple games, and that changes the whole outlook of the Rams' season. And the Cardinals are, you know, kind of in that weird, we don't know how we're going to look next year with uh, Murray at quarterback. Get Marvin Harrison, baby. (laughs) So I think the Seahawks one, again, is a more win now, and then the Commanders are more of a, like, long-term build. Agreed. There's been some open general manager roles too. Let's go over some of them that have been filled and there's still two openings, including the one with, uh, with in San Diego or sorry, there I am again <laughs> in freaking for the chargers, the Raiders, uh, hired Tom Telesco, which he's from where I forgot where he, the, the chargers uh, the last 11 years. I yes. Think? The chargers. Yes. Kind of draft. Who, um, they done pretty well, I think. Yeah. Uh, so that one's a good. Commanders got Adam Peters again, right hand man for. Uh, I was gonna say Kyle Shanahan for John Lynch <laughs> over in San Francisco, and the Panthers got Dan Morgan, who was basically just promoted from his assistant general manager role. He's got a tough task at hand because oh, the previous God. general manager traded everything away for Bryce Young, and now he's got to build through free agency and all that kind of stuff. A couple open roles though. Got Chargers and the Patriots still open. It's going to be interesting because whoever takes the Chargers job has to really align with whatever John Harbaugh wants or Jim Harbaugh wants. Yes. So, and you have to think gonna... that was part of the interviewing process with Jim was like, okay, if we do hire you, like, who are you looking at as far as like maybe having a say in who we bring in as the GM? Because again, you want them to be on the same page because that was part of the reason he ended up leaving San Francisco. Him and the GM at the time did not see eye to eye on some decisions and ultimately ran him out of town. So. I would think that's part of the process of hiring him is like, okay, these are the people we're thinking about hiring. I think they were talking about interviewing the guy from Baltimore who you mentioned last week on our episode. That's, that's, that's why they should bring in. So obviously with Harbaugh and his brother being in Baltimore, there. Oh, I didn't think about that part. Yeah. Area, knowing what they expect and how to build something. So that's the one I think makes the most sense. I don't know who's going to be the GM for the Patriots. There was talk of John Robinson, who used to be in the organization and was the Titans GM before they fired him at the end of the year and a half ago. So I wouldn't be shocked if John Robinson goes back there because, again, familiarity with the organization and kind of how they do things. But without Bill Belichick being the guy who makes the last ultimate decision, decision. I think Robinson did a great job in Tennessee. The only thing that he did bad was he didn't re-sign Brown and then traded him to Philadelphia, which turned out to be a really bad idea. He's a sneaky agent for Philly. Y'all give all your best players to them. I don't know what it is. I'm surprised you didn't trade King Henry there, to be honest with you. I really wanted him to get traded to Baltimore. That's what I wanted to happen. 
That would have been a freaking. How do you stop right? that? Oh my that been gosh. Tough. And Canellis, or I'm sorry, uh, Callahan, when he was doing his press conference, I think today for the Titans, even said he's not against bringing Henry back because who would be, who would not want to bring him back in any offense? So don't count don't him out to back, back yet. I think it's not going to happen, but it is possible. Yeah, and I, the only reason I think it's not going to happen is not because of the money or not because of the organization, but I think I think Derrick Henry wants to explore his options. Yeah, and win now. Um, the Titans have been good. They've gone far with him, so it's not like he hasn't experienced the postseason. It's not like he's riding with the Jets his whole career or, yeah. you know, sitting in the dumpster in Arizona or something like that, right? It's, uh, you know, he's had some success. Nothing nothing Ooh. too great, though, so I know that he's going to want to uh Derrick Henry to the Chargers if they can do it because uh, I know uh, they're running back. What's the guy's Eckler. name? Eckler. Eckler, Austin he's going to be a free agent. I know he didn't really like how things went last year. If they can bring Henry in, because Harbaugh's going to build that offensive line big, he's probably going to draft some Michigan guys. Oh, that would course. be a good spot for Henry to end up if they can get him. That's a great pick. That's a great pick. I like that. I like that. A couple other notes real quickly. Packers did fire their defensive coordinator, Joe Barry. He They were a top 10 scoring off our defense this year. Uh, but most of the year, they were 28th in like uh, rushing yards per game. I think they were like 30th in passing yards per game. They were towards yeah, the bottom of the barrel and, yeah, and didn't quite get it done against San Francisco, especially. You know what it probably was that last drive? They're like, all right, we just need this one stop. And they're like, all right, go ahead and score. Uh, <laughs> so that didn't happen because, uh, yeah, so that was that's something else. So side note there. Bengals also promote their quarterback coach, Dan Pritchard, Pitcher, sorry, uh, because Brian Callahan is obviously with you guys now. Promote the quarterback coach, Dan Pitcher, to the offensive coordinator job. Just continuity. Uh, he's been around. Else. Yeah. Why not? I mean, he's probably learned everything they need. Burrow's probably really comfortable with him, obviously. Obviously, he's the quarterback coach. So Yeah, and eh. um, who's the coach? And I can't think of it. Zach, Zach Taylor. Taylor. He uh, had nothing but good things to say about Callahan, even though Callahan didn't call the plays when it came down to it for game day, but he was a really big part of the – game plan for each week so maybe Dan Pitcher was also in those meetings and showed a lot of promise and maybe can kind of fill that role but again ultimately Zach Taylor's the one who makes the call so just another guy to learn from and ultimately maybe move on in another year or two depending on how the Bengals look when Joe Burrow's back exactly moving on off the field and onto the hard court got some NBA stuff going on the biggest story obviously it's just I it honestly came out of nowhere dude I, I don't understand it but we'll get into all the details here Milwaukee Bucks firing head coach Adrian Griffin um, after starting 30 and 13 this season, which at the time was second in the East and second tie for second overall in the league. This is a head scratcher, no? Big time because it was his first year's coach. It's not like he's been there three years and all of a sudden they decided like get out one, two, they're 30 and 13. And like you said, second in the East, it's not like they're struggling. Now their defense has not been nearly as good, but that also could be due to the Drew fact Holiday. that they traded Drew Holiday for Damian Lillard, who doesn't play defense as well. So I get it, but the reports are that he kind of lost the locker room. Um, apparently, the, the as report states that Griffin told Buck Stars they need the sacrifice was required during an airing out session after the loss of the Pacers in the end of the season tournament. So I would think this has something to do with just Dame or Giannis not <clears throat> seeing eye to eye with him. There was a clip, I think, too, of the last game or two before they fired him that there's Giannis is on the sideline, like drawing a play on a piece of paper or a board. So that's not good. If he's drawing stuff up, it kind of looks like uh, LeBron back in the day with David Blatt, where it was just like, yeah, I don't trust this guy. I don't think he knows what he's doing. He's got to go. Now, that's not what the GM came out and said during the press conference, that Giannis was the reason this has happened, which why would he say that? He's never going to no, do that. No. But I think the more interesting fact is they're bringing in Doc Rivers, which I don't even know. Is that the best option they can, can come up with? 
Uh, I, I mean, you you and I were talking about this before the show. There's no real way to look up online available NBA coaches, yeah. uh, but to me, it's just a name. The the weird part, and obviously the whole story behind this, is that he's been uh, an advisor to the team and to Adrian Griffin throughout this season. And after going thirty and thirteen, is he whispering over to the gym like, "Hey, I know this guy's killing it, but you know who could probably do better?" Me. me. <laughs> It's so weird. I I don't – and it has nothing to do with Boston or the Clippers, which, wow, he actually coached two of my least favorite teams. Um, <laughs> I just don't think he's that great of a coach. I you agree. mentioned it. There's there's nobody that's hung on to a championship more than that damn 08 Celtics team, including the players and Doc himself. He's ridden to so many different places because of one chip. He's had Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer, and he's got one, one. I, I don't think so. I said it without even seeing the clip, but you had mentioned the comparison that was made. I said it. I thought it was unique, but you found a clip that was, to me, he's like Mike McCarthy, right? He is a name that had one title with a star, and now he just gets to you know stay and do and get the biggest job in the NFL. If you consider you know the Cowboys the biggest job, obviously the largest market, biggest team. Mm -hmm. um, and he's just kind of riding previous success of one one thing to to get kind of all these jobs. Again, Clippers with Showtime or Showtime, Lob City, Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George, Sixers with the freaking with Embiid, and I know it was a weird situation, but eventually got hardened. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Yeah, I I don't get it. I'm with you. That's that that O eight team. And the worst part is to me about it too is when they lost in twenty ten to the Lakers. Kendrick Perkins got hurt in game six, didn't play game seven. And Doc and them, oh, well, we didn't have Perkins in game seven. Yeah, well, in 2008, when you beat the Lakers, they didn't have Andrew Bynum the entire series or Trevor Ariza. So that's two big pieces that helped them win in 2009 and then Andrew Bynum as well in 2010. So I don't want to hear anything about that. There's no excuse there at all. I don't want to hear it. But you're right. Not, he's coached so many Hall of Famers. And as you said that, not just like one Hall of Famer on each team he's been on. It's been no. two, if not three Hall of Famers, if not four, if you include Rondo in Boston at the time now, mm -hmm. looking back. Yeah, like, he wasn't then. But crazy. Yeah. And, and the biggest thing is, is you talked about, you know, just a name and not anything else. The record speaks for itself. His NBA, okay, these are crazy stats. I know you pulled yeah. them up, but I have to just get, get them out. Go. He has lost 32 closeout games in the playoffs. Lost seven series when leading 3-2. A couple of them 3-1, I think, with the Clippers in the mm -hmm. bubble. 10 game sevens he's lost and he's lost 12 series after holding a lead in that series at some point. What is, and, and not only that, he wasn't including even, just last year. Yeah. And not only that with it, with, with the Sixers and sitting on the sideline doing broadcasting stuff this year. Like what has he learned in that three, two months that he was on the, the sideline doing, I just don't understand. I don't know. The best part to me, I, or at least not best part, but one of the funny things is when they, when they came back on ABC the night, Mike Breen and Doris Burke, who was his, oh, CEO, he was a part of, Mike Breen was like, you know, thank you for the weeks of service that you gave us. Like, he didn't even stay very long there. And like you talked about, the weird thing is he was advising Adrian Griffin. Did he not, like you said, whisper to the organization, like, I think I can do better. Like, just get rid of him. So maybe that is part of it. I don't know. But again, it's not like Doc. Again, there's just two Hall of Famers on this team now with Dame and Giannis. So again, more Hall of Famers to coach. Is he going to ultimately get past the team in the playoffs? And if you're the Sixers, you got to be sitting there thinking, oh, I hope we play the Bucks in the playoffs because we know that Doc is not going to have them ready. And Nick Nurse has won a title, I don't know, in the last Smart. four or five years, not 
you know, 15 years ago at this point, 16 mm-hmm. really going on. It's just, uh, I don't get it. I don't understand why they brought Doc in, but I'm with you that, that why isn't there a list of available free agent coaches for the NBA? I can't find it anywhere, but we talked about earlier when we were getting ready, <clears throat> excuse me, that Terry Stotts was brought in as an assistant coach before the season started after they traded for Damian Lillard. Cause he traded, he coached Dame in Portland for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Even oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Finals. He quit before the season even really got started. That had to have been a sign that something was off in that locker room. Looking back at that. now, Yeah. Looking back for sure. At the time you would just might say, okay, he just wants to do something else or he yeah. doesn't feel like I'll have a big role. Maybe he just kind of wants to do something. But yeah, now that you kind of connect the dots, you're just like, Oh yeah. The only thing that I would say, and I think in my rebuttal to you was maybe he should have just stayed on. Cause then he could have just been the head coach, right? He would have moved out. Right. Moved up he already knows game and his, you know, defensive, uh, not very good Weaknesses. on the side, but can make make the team as a defense better. And maybe Griffin didn't want to listen to him. And maybe that was part of the reason that the locker room kind of lost it as well with him. I don't know, but Doc seems like the worst idea for me if I'm if I'm Milwaukee. But hey, that's not my problem. They are they to me they are no longer a contender now. They are. I didn't know Adrian Griffin, but that's good. I know Doc Rivers blows it. <laughs> up two one against the Celtics. Up three two against the Celtics. He's got a game six at home. L. Got to go on the road and see what you can do. Fat L. They just lose up in the bubble. L, L, L. Three L's in a row. What what does he do well besides hang on Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen, and Rajon Rondo, and all their talent? What else does he do well? Nothing, in my opinion. He is not a great coach. Uh, I know you asked the question, so do you think, though, that he's the best uh, option for the Bucs? I'm assuming no. No, they could have had, they could have just left the interim coach. I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now that's in Milwaukee, but he would have been just fine because he's already there. He has some continuity with the players, knows their strengths and weaknesses. He could have probably built on something, at least give him a week or two to kind of see if that's the way you want to go. And it's weird bringing a coach in in the middle of the season, let alone from the announcing booth to the bench. I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's a big name too. It's a lot of distractions. Although the Bucks might've been happy about it. You saw their pregame before their first game after the Adrian <laughs> Griffin fire, they were like dancing in like a little row, a little rain dance in the middle of the court. So apparently they were kind of stoked about it, but I guess we'll see how it plays out. I don't see it playing out. Well, Bucks, while they might have a good regular season because most Doc River teams do, they are going to lose depending on the matchup first or second round, in my opinion. Uh, that's just that's just my opinion. I don't, I I don't think, think it's going to go well at all. I would think second round. They'll probably get out of the first. Now it might be six or seven games, and they struggle to Not get they play through. The heat. But, oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. The heat are, that's why I said depending on who they play. That's true. That's a good point. And you mentioned the heat, too. I mean, the trade season apparently has already started. The heat made a random deal the other day. I did not see coming until about 12 hours before it started being a rumor, and then it said it was done. They trade for Terry Rozier from the Hornets. They get scary they Terry. Un- they unload Kyle Lowry and his $29 million. And then a protected first round pick goes to Charlotte. Uh, there's obviously talks that Lowry's not going to stay in Charlotte. He wants to be playing for contender. So they're either going to try to flip him before February 8th deadline, or if he gets bought out, he'll end up signing somewhere else. But I think the heat Terry Rozier is a perfect player for that organization and that team. He kind of fits that whole heat culture thing. I think within that scheme, how they play team defense and, you know, Butler's been in and out of the lineup. I think Terry gives them a little more offensive punch when he's not there. And when he is there, he is a young guy who can play defense and be up in your face. When he was in Boston in the playoffs those couple of years, he was, as you said, scary Terry, man. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's funny because they had a stat right when he got traded. The Bucks, the the Bucks. I'm sorry, they. I'm still irritated with stupid Doc <laughs> Rivers because I kind of like the Bucks, man. I like Giannis and I like Dame, and I just think they've freaking ruined it, dude. I just don't think he's a good coach. Anyways, I know we're moving on. Um, the Heat. <laughs> this, the, the basic quote was like, "Yeah, the Heat were are were tired of getting cooked by Terry. Apparently, dude was averaging like 27 uh, anytime he played the Heat, and they just and they just roll." Uh, the sad part is, with him in his first game, they did lose. Um, so you know, not necessarily the best start. But again, it's more. This is about more than just one game. This is about adding a, another big offensive piece instead of completely relying on old Lowry or gets tired Butler. So um, I think it's good. I think it's good overall. Again, he'll he'll he seems like a hard worker. Been grinding in Charlotte, doing absolutely nothing for some time. So I'm sure he'll be happy to be on a stage. Uh, okay. It doesn't have to be. There's no stage in Charlotte, so he'll be on a stage at least in Miami. So I think it's a good. I think it's good for everyone all around. You had a fun like note because one of the things that you were talking about was uh, Kyle Lowry especially if he is bought out and not traded somewhere, there is some sort of something about teams that he can't go to. Yeah. So typically when somebody gets bought out in the past, you know, they're open to sign with everybody once they clear waivers, which most of the time they do, because they're not going to go to a team they don't want to play for. Uh, But with the new tax uh, rules and aprons that they put in, if you're over the salary tax or salary cap, you can only sign with certain teams. So there's seven teams. I believe he cannot sign with if he is bought out the warriors clippers, which I was shocked because I figured with him playing with Kawhi back in the day in Toronto, that's where he'd end up, but not going to be possible. Mm, uh, the good. Celtics, the Suns, the Bucks, the Heat, obviously, since he was just there, and the Denver Nuggets. Now, those teams, because they're over the, the cap as much as they are, they're only able to sign somebody um, who gets bought out who's making $12 million or less. Well, Lowry's making 29, so not possible. So it would be close. interesting to see where Lowry ends up. Obviously, it'll be a contending team of second sport. Uh, I was going to say one of the rumors is the Lakers, which if you're the Lakers, if you can get him for free on a buyout uh, option, totally worth it to have him there, especially if Gabe Vincent's not going to play it all this year anyway. Who? Um, yeah, exactly. Who's that? <laughs> oh, we have that guy on our team? I haven't seen him at all. I mean, he's getting paid. He's not doing anything, but he's getting paid. But yeah, yeah it's be million dollars to, to freaking pass a ball at practice. Where Lowry ends up, but I wouldn't be shocked if, even if he does get traded from charlotte to somewhere else he's making 29 million so no contending team is going to be able to somehow get a 29 million dollar guy in there they're going to wait for him to get bought out so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up yeah nobody wants to trade for that contract especially because that's <laughs> a lot you have to you have to piece together almost 30 million dollars in players going out yes for kyle lowry coming back i think it's this last year of his contract you're not gonna you're not gonna waiver any of that so no. he most likely won't be able to be traded unless i i just don't see that happening he's gonna he's gonna be bought out and um He'll be free to choose where he wants to go. It'll be it'll be interesting because I think I wouldn't say he's underrated, but people overlook him. I'll put it that way. I think he is a good piece to have on a team. I don't think he should be a main piece, but right. I think it'd be kind of good to add to like what I'm thinking, like maybe a Lakers team who, you know, we got Braun, AD, got Austin, but him coming off the bench, running that second unit, dropping threes like crazy, being gritty, bringing some of that heat culture over, but you know, although here's the thing, heat guards coming from LA. Now he's making a stop in, in Charlotte. So maybe that kind of erases the bad mojo because we got Kendrick Nunn who didn't do shit. We got Gabe Vincent who's not doing shit. So I don't want to get Kyle Lowry and have him not do shit. I guess no, I'm with I'm you there, but if you think about it, I feel like Lowry's the better version who actually knows how to win when it comes down to it of Pat Beverly. He does all oh, the yes. little grinding stuff. Shoot. A lot of charges called against the other team. He can shoot a little bit. He can run an offense when needed. But again, not every day, not a starter. 
think anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes, he would be a perfect role player for some team that's trying to make a title run. I can see that. I can see that for sure. Going to his stats right here for, for such a short guy, he's averaging, he averaged four, uh, four rebounds a game for a six foot guard. Um, so yeah. So to your point of being gritty, he he's down to, you know, follow his shot. He'll, if someone else is shooting, he'll try to grab boards. He, he'll get down and dirty and try to get, you know, things done, I guess you could say. Yeah, absolutely. I think he'd be a perfect backup point guard for D'Angelo Russell to come in, run the offense when uh, LeBron and AD want to not have the ball run through them and just kind of get everybody moving. I think it'd be a perfect, perfect situation. But again, we'll see when he gets bought out where he ends up wanting to go. Because yeah, only right now we're only 500, so... <laughs> Woo! I'll take it. That was a big win, though, last night. D'Angelo does not want to get traded. I know we haven't talked about it, but he was going off, uh, which, to be honest with you, has been plenty of people in the NBA recently. Uh, D'Angelo hasn't been going off like some of the names that we're going to talk about, but dude couldn't miss from behind the arc. He was getting the ball. I saw the replays, bro. He was getting the ball like in the weirdest position. Just throw it up, splash, throw it up, (laughs) splash. From almost the logo, like 34 feet, I think uh, I saw in Center, splash. So he definitely doesn't want to get traded. But we got to talk about some of the scoring that's been going on in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, two nights ago was the last, no, Monday night. Monday night on the anniversary of Kobe scoring 81, which was our show where we talked about that little mini segment of this week in sports history. And B dropped 70. Cat that same night dropped 62. Um, and it's just been, it's been, I think Tatum dropped 40 that night. People have just been dropping 50 and 60 like left and right, bro. Yeah, it's getting out of control. And not only that, it continued tonight before we got on here. We saw Luca had 73 and Booker had 62. Like, it's just every other night or every couple of nights, somebody's scoring, like you said, 40 or 50 or more. It's just the defensive hand checking not being allowed and the way teams just run up and down the court. It's it's very, and the way I want to think about it, it kind of makes it very arcade style if you're talking about like playing it on a video game. Most True. people who play online just run up and down and run up and down and try to shoot as many threes and get as many buckets. When if you slow down and run an offense and actually do some pick and roll and some dialed up plays, the scoring might be a little further down and the defense has to react to what's happening instead of just not being able to touch one guy. And not only that, you talk about Booker had 62 tonight. Sun still lost. Cat had 62 yep. the other night. The Wolves still lost. So even though the guys are scoring a bunch, doesn't necessarily compute to a win every single time. No, in fact, the T Wolves coach was pissed about it um, in his press in his post game presser. He kind of talks about it because there was reports that the the team um, was asking some of the assistants to keep up with what Embiid had scored that night because oh. they wanted to feed Cat and have Cat score more. Dang, uh, they, were one. they not? They weren't worried about the game they were worried about stat padding and stat watching instead of actually getting the win we do have a clip of the uh head coach i forgot his name but he's actually a really good coach in my opinion we have a clip of him uh in the post-game presser kind of talking about the game afterwards chris what happened in this one to let it slip away well i mean it was an absolute disgusting performance of defense and immature basketball um all the way through the game so it really didn't slip away. It had been there from the jump. So this is what happens when you uh, have this type of approach. You saw that from the beginning oh, of yeah. the game right through the For sure, yeah. yeah. How do you go about trying to right the ship when you see it's like that from minute uh, one? I kept you know, imploring them to try to compete and play some defense, um, I, switching back between man and zone, anything to contain the ball. Um, push it, you know, get up, get up on the shooters. Um, yeah, just uh, messages weren't getting through. So 
It seemed like all season when Carl or Ant start the quarter, first quarter off and just scoring a lot of points, it's coming pretty easy. That leads to the team's worst basketball. Yeah. How do you address that? Because there are going to be quarters where it's good <clears> when they start out hot, but not have it yeah. lead to bad team basketball from there. I mean, listen, yeah, it's, you're spot on. I mean, there's lots of times when just because you've scored two or three or four points in a row or baskets in a row, it doesn't, you know, obviously we're going to try to feed a hot hand, look for a hot hand, but at some point we got to get back to making the right play. We got to get back to doing the right things. Um, and, um, you know, that's just, uh, like I said, there's a lot of ways to be immature. There's always a lot of ways to be immature. Um, and there was a lot of immature performances here throughout the, the roster we totally disrespected the game ourselves um and we got exactly what we deserve so that was chris finch expressing his irritation with the team he even said it towards the end there they just disrespected the game and they got what they deserved they, they weren't playing to win they weren't trying to play legitimate basketball they were just trying to feed a storyline of cat versus Embiid for some reason which Nobody sees them on the same level. Maybe no. the people, maybe the teammates of the in the T Wolves organization, and Bede maybe literally, but also figuratively towers over Cat. Um, he's a he's a way better all around player. Uh, obviously, had won an MVP. Cat's been in the league longer and hasn't even gotten close to a conversation. So, uh, but yeah, they lose. Booker loses. You found actually a stat earlier when we were talking about it. And I'm going to shout out the homie we were talking to. Three and four in the seven games that Booker has scored 50-plus. So he is, as Loft says, there's way too much hype for this dude for nothing. Yeah, couldn't agree more. When you were when we were prepping and Loft and I were talking about it, I was just like, I wonder how many times he's scored a bunch of points and, and what the team has done because they lost tonight. So we were able to look it up. <clears throat> he wins four losses when he scores 50 or more. Then, then it's not the best thing for the team to go off and score 50. And one of those, he scored 70 against Boston a couple years ago, and they still lost. So I don't I see know. the point of going off like that if it ultimately doesn't get you a win. It's got to be more team-oriented. And like you talked about, Cat and them played against the basketball gods. It came back to bite them. Mm-hmm. Um, to your point, though, about the arcade style or NBA 2K way, I don't necessarily think we need to go back to the 80s where people are scoring in the 80s. Um, I, I, I do like some scoring, but I think the early 2000s to mid-2000s, like anywhere up to 2012 probably, was like peak NBA. There was still some defense. They had already taken out the hand check. Is this just people are that skilled, or is it that people just don't play defense? I think it's a little bit of both because if you think about it, when kids are playing in Little League and all the way through high school and stuff now, they're taught to basically what is your specialty and just focus on that. If you're a shooter, That's true. Then just shoot, shoot, shoot. Like you don't get an all-around game like they used to when they were younger and playing. Because I remember when I played at practice, we did a little bit of everything at practice. We did defensive drills. We did shooting drills. We did offensive drills on game plans and out-of-bounds plays. Like it's just not the way it is. If they find a specialty for you and what you're good at, you just focus on that and you don't do anything else. So by the time you get to the pros, you don't know how to play the game as a whole. You know how to do your specialty and your role, but that's not necessarily good for the team or the game itself. So I think it's just a different way of playing. And I think we, I think they talked about – <clears throat> the Warriors, when they started, you know, changing the way the game was played with all the three-point shooting, they were the number one team in offense. Today's game and age, you look at the numbers of what they put at that time when they were number one, they'd be like middle of the pack, 15, 16 in the league. So the scoring has completely changed, and it's all about the offensive side, and there's really not a whole lot of defense being played on most teams. I just think that any piece of con- – I'll agree with you a little bit, but I think that any piece of contact is a foul. So you can't even you can't even t- like what is the point if you just want us to to play air games where we can't if you know get physical with it then just say that I, I think it's a little too overblown on the whistle 
Um, but that's what the league wants. The league wants 141 to 132 in regulation. Like those were unheard of numbers when we were growing up, dude, 140. You're like, damn, that triple overtime. Like how did that even happen? Now it's every freaking day. We we had a podcast a, a couple episodes ago where there was five teams that scored over 140 points on the same day. It's just becoming a regular. So I do think it's a little bit of both, like you said, but they just need to allow some defense, man. Like, it will make the game, in my opinion, better because I don't I don't watch the All-Star game for this no. exact reason. Oh God, no. You know, it's 180 to 178, and you're just like, what is the point? It's just a layup line or just a three-point show or nobody plays defense. Now, I get why they do it there. Nobody wants to get hurt, right? Uh, so I get that. But every other regular season game. Huh? Yeah, exactly. It's become the norm in a regular season game. Not everybody's an all-star. Let's go freaking play. So I wish they would get back to a little bit more defense. But yeah, I uh, agree with Loft, though, on, on Booker, man. I think he's a, I think he's a little overrated. I hope he does not make the USA team. Uh, we're going to – Corey and I are actually going to discuss. Make sure you're tuned into, I think, our next episode. We're going to discuss – they've announced the 41-man um, – openings i guess you can say for for the team usa for the french uh, olympics coming up Corey and i are going to try to give our starting 12 or our selected 12 to be on the team so make sure you check out that one but last last little bit of shout out to our number one listener laffy appreciate you always sir <laughs> off the hard court and we're gonna get into the baseball diamond a um, couple notes there's been a handful of signings but we're going to start with honoring the past the Major League Baseball announced the 2024 Hall of Fame class. There was uh, three people voted in here, but we're going to include the fourth one who was uh, selected by, I believe you confirmed, the Veterans Committee uh, back in December. So the first two I'll take, and then if you want to kind of grab the next two, we'll go from there, yeah? Sounds good. <clears throat> the first one we got here is Adrian Beltre, longtime uh, player, played a total of 21 Major League seasons, the Dodgers, Mariners, Red Sox, Rangers, Kind of a goofball, but also very, very serious and very, very good at his job. Won five Gold Glove Awards at third base. He also won four Silver Sluggers, earned four All-Star selections. And at the time of his retirement in 2018, he was the only third baseman in Major League Baseball history with over 3,000 career hits and 400 home runs. He already has his number 29 retired by the Rangers. That was done in 2019. So props to Mr. Beltre. Any notes? Any comments? I mean, like you said, just a fun guy, but also very serious at the same time. One of the highlights that comes to mind is when he got thrown out of the game because he was too close to the on, like he wasn't on the on deck oh, pad, and he, he was moved too it close to home plate, so he picked it up and moved it, and then they threw him out of the game. That's like one of the best highlights. And then the second one is when he was going against Felix Hernandez because he played with him in Seattle when he was in Texas, and he's going up against him. Hernandez threw this nasty curveball and, and Beltre had this like half swing, like, ah, crap, what am I doing? And then Felix just bends over laughing at him and Beltre's laughing as he's walking back to the dugout. It's again, a lot of fun and a good guy. And yeah, just, I mean, third base, he was one of the best, if not the best oh, third base all time. The hot corner, bro. Yeah. So good. So good. But don't touch his head. No. no. <laughs> Todd Helton, another one that was just uh, inducted in. He, this was actually his sixth year on the ballot. He actually just fell short last year at 72.2% of the vote, which you need 75% of the writers to agree. So expected that he was kind of able to break through in this year, and he did. He spent his entire 17-year career with the Rockies, who obviously did nothing, but he was good. Uh, he won a batting title in 2000, five-time All-Star, finished with 22,519 hits, 369 home runs, and a career batting average of 316. Man, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, that there was long. a lot of... 
controversy, but talk of like if he should be in or not because the fact that he played in Colorado kind of elevates a lot of those numbers. Oh, um, you said yeah. he did nothing. He did go to one World Series in 2007 where the Rockies got swept by the Red Sox. So he did have a postseason run at least once. Um, but yeah, 316 average regardless of playing in Colorado or not. Batting over 300 for a season is great, let alone your career, 316. So, I mean, well, well deserved, but also, again, a little bit more discussion of if he was actually really a Hall of Famer or not. Yeah, I mean, I hope they're not starting to bend the rules on who they get in. I feel like they don't because they don't let anybody from the freaking uh, steroid era really get in. So, um, but yeah, we'll. I mean, props to him. He was one of. I mean, who, there was a there was another person that was in Colorado, wasn't there? That was uh, decent uh, during his time, or no? Am I remembering? It, I feel like Harry he had Helton's like run, or because yeah. Holiday was there with him when they went to the World Series. That was the okay. Maybe that's yeah. That's that's probably who I'm talking about. Yeah, Holiday and and Helton back to back. Yeah, I think that's who I was talking about. All right. So who are the other two, my friend? Well, the other one is Joe Maurer, a uh, catcher from the Minnesota Twins. Uh, spent his entire 15-year career there. Uh, obviously, the city itself and and the ta- the fans of the Twins absolutely love him. Uh, another one, they retired his number back in 2019, number seven. Um, he was an American League MVP in 2009, won three AL batting titles, uh, six all-star appearances, five silver slugger awards, three gold gloves at catcher. Uh, he did end up That's switching nice. to first base at the end of his career since he uh, had knees. Yeah, exactly. As a catcher, you kind of get beat up. I think a big part of why he was able to get into the hall too is is a catcher. I mean, they're not usually very offensive on the on that side of baseball. It's usually just more the defensive side. But again, five silver sluggers and He's six dangerous. all-star selections, three gold gloves defensively too. He was solid. I think you remember. I remember you saying a stat. Something maybe it wasn't you. I don't remember who. Something yeah, it was me. It was he, me. I was about to say. What that. was it about the strikeout thing? So, so uh, during his retirement um, in 2019, I believe it was, or maybe it was the most recent announcement that he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm thinking it was the Jersey retirement. So in 2019, when he was having his Jersey retired in Minnesota, Minnesota actually found the one player to strike out Joe Maurer in high school. Yes, <laughs> Joe Maurer struck out one time in high school. Twins found him and brought him to the game for a nice little laugh. Obviously, Joe probably remembered who it was. But the fact that you struck out once Four in high school is nuts, dude. Nuts. Dude was amazing on offense. Obviously was insane uh, behind the plate. Gold gloves, batting titles. Winning an MVP as catcher, in my opinion, is kind of hard. Most of the time it goes to crazy bats and people who are in the field and are pitchers. So well, uh, props to that. Too, as a catcher, you're involved in every single pitch. It's not like a position player where – you know, and you play a game, you might get three balls hit to you the entire nine innings. When you're a catcher, everything's coming to you. Then there's plays at the plate and pass balls and all that kind of stuff. So the gold glove as a catcher is a huge thing, and to have three of them is huge. Now, the Twins didn't win a World Series while he was there. They did get, they did get to the ALCS in 2002, ultimately lost to the, Dod- or the Angels, who had Adam Kennedy go off in game six and end up getting the Angels to a World Series win. But again, the entire time he was there, I think uh, – can't remember who was the first baseman when he was younger at the catcher position, but they had a really good team. Torrey Hunter was in center field. They had a great run in, in Minnesota while he was in his youth. But again, another catcher with the way he played is is awesome. Well deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So since 1999, which is when Pudge uh, Ivan Rodriguez won, so that's over 25 years now. So in the past 25 years, catchers have only won twice. Joe Maurer, and I'm sure you could probably maybe guess the other one. Uh, MVP, a catcher. Buster Posey? Yes. Ah, of course. So those are the only two. So uh, in the more recent times, uh, Joe Maurer was one of elite, one of the in elite company. Damn. 
Speaking of elite company, the fourth one that got in, which again was veterans committee voted, but Jim Leland, who was the manager, he uh three-time manager of the year, uh, twice in the national league, 90 and 92, and once in the American league, 2006, uh, was the coach of the Marlins when they won the World Series in 1997, which is the famous one where Edgar Renteria is hitting that Game 7 walk-off win, and Craig Council is the one scoring the run. Um, and then uh, he also managed the United States national team when they won the 2017 World Baseball Classic, uh, led the team to their first gold medal finish. And then in 2003, uh, 23, that was when they, on December, they elected him through the uh, Veterans Committee into the Hall of Fame. I think the one thing that I always think about with Leland, and most people have kind of probably talked about this at this point, is he was always a smoker and always smoking cigarettes. There's talk of back when he was coaching in you know the 90s when it was a little more not taboo to do that. He would go down into the clubhouse during the game, have a cigarette, and then come back into the uh, club, to the uh, bench and then continue managing. But yeah, uh, just again, a coach that took multiple teams to the World Series. Obviously, they won with the Marlins in the 90s, and then he was the coach of the Tigers when they went in 2006 and lost to the Cardinals, and I believe in 2012 when they got swept by the Giants and Buster Posey. So uh, just a, a great manager and had a great long career. I'm surprised he didn't get into the Hall of Fame sooner at this point. Yeah, I know, right? There's not too many managers who have like that that level of you know success. Uh, I mean, there's obviously Joe Torre with the Yankees. He's up there. Uh, Dusty Baker. I mean, there's some, right? But there's not Bruce Bochy. But they yeah. don't have like you know that that level. So you know, props to Jim. I think he's yeah. still alive too. So that's cool. oh yeah, yeah. He'll be at the ceremony this summer. Nice. Which so that's all. That's the signings. Hold on. Yeah. That's the one okay. thing I think baseball screws up with. They do a lot of things right lately, but this is one thing I think they're doing a disservice to. Why is there a Hall of Fame ceremony on a Saturday in the middle of the season while teams are playing games? How is that even p- promoting the thing itself? It should be on a weekend where there's no games, where it's the sole focus of the sport. Before I mean, the season, be- like the NFL, right? Yeah, the NFL they made the announcement game. a couple days ago, to, but there's other guys being in, but like nobody even knew it was coming. It was just kind of like, oh, yeah, it, it, they announced the Hall of Fame people. Like It's not as big a deal compared to other sports, especially like you talked about the NFL. It should be like the Friday before or the Thursday before MLB starts their season for the year. That way it's more of a focus and a way to start the year like the NFL does. That's one thing I don't get why MLB doesn't do as well. That's actually a really good point. I never even thought about it like that because I guess I never paid attention to it. Um, Obviously it's very, yeah, right. Exactly. It's very (laughs) famous that the, um, that the, NFL has their Hall of Fame game. Uh, but yeah, I guess I never really thought about that. Who's the commissioner? The worst commissioner in sports, Rob Manfred, man. Come on. Why don't you call him up? Call him up. Let him know. Be like, hey, bruh. Just hey, Rob, I know you're right out there listening, man. Change the Hall of Fame time. Let's go. Get it situated better. Get it right. Get it right. <laughs> that's actually, no, that's a really good point. I like that. I like that. Thanks for bringing that up. <clears throat> we are going to move on, though, from the Hall of Fame. Congrats to the finalists, uh, not the finalists, to the entrants this year, all four of them, um, most or all well-deserved, in my opinion. So congratulations. Yep, we'll move on to some of the signings. These are a little bit smaller. Obviously, we have no Shohei Otanis left or uh, <laughs> Yamamoto's. Uh, the billions have already been spent. But we got some some good people that can definitely – I mean, that's the thing about baseball. you got to build an entire roster that plays for 162 games. So every little bit helps, right? Exactly. We're going to start with uh, first baseman Reese Hoskins, who agreed to a two-year $34 million contract with the Milwaukee Brewers. He has an opt-out after the first year. Uh, would you like the signing? I think it's a great signing. I mean, he played six years in Philly. He helped them a big part of getting them to the World Series in 2022. I think 
game in the AL- NLCS. He had like five or six home runs just in that series alone. Uh, last year he didn't play. He tore his ACL in uh, preseason or spring training. So I think a big part of it is, is, you know, he has had time to rest. And if he's healthy, I think in the middle of that Milwaukee lineup, which, you know, last year they were just in the run for a playoff chase. We Dimebacks ended up beating them in the first round. Yes, right. Two games out of three on the road. Um, But again, Milwaukee's always been competitive. Now they do have a new manager. Craig Council has moved on to the Cubs, so that'll be kind of different. But I think in the middle of that lineup with what they have and they still have Corbin Burns at the top of the rotation, I think it's going to be a perfect fit. Uh, But if it doesn't work out very well, maybe at the trade deadline, if they're not competing, that's one of those guys they can move. And he does have an opt-out after the year. So if he's not having a great year, he can opt back in and get another $17 million on the second year. So I think it's a win-win for both sides at this point. You said that he didn't play last year because of a torn ACL. But this past season, he did – or the season before that, he was wow, 30 home runs, 79 RBIs, and 794 OPS for the Phillies. That ain't bad. That That's ain't bad. Healthy. He can uh, definitely make a difference. And he is a first baseman, but if he's not healthy enough to play first base at the beginning of the year coming back from the surgery, then – you can put him at DH because DH is in all of the league now. It doesn't matter if you're AL or AL. Sure. So you can kind of work him back into playing first base for the Brewers if, if you need to take that time. Good point. Very good point. We're going to stay in the National League. Uh, this time we're going with the Nationals. <laughs> Joey Gallo signed a one-year $5 million deal with Washington. He's got a million dollars in extra incentives, so it could be up toward – or is that including – so would it be up to six or is that including It could be up five? to six if he did see incentives. Six, mark. okay. Uh, played for the Minnesota Twins last season, had 21 home runs and 40 RBIs in 111 games. Problem is he only hit 177. Uh, so it's he's kind of like a Kyle Schwarber, I guess, with a 741 yes. OPS. He's either hitting it over the over the wall or he's getting out. So um, I guess we'll see how this kind of turns out. The Nationals, we, after they traded Soto away, it seems like, I mean, and their World Series win, they're kind of just like they have a team. Yes. Yeah. You got to fill the roster. Uh, I think this is kind of similar to the Eraldis Chapman deal that we talked about earlier in the week uh, when he went to Pittsburgh on a one-year deal. You know, you get him in there, you have a veteran on a very young team. If he does pan out and hits, you know, well or gets a big home run mark at least early, if the Nationals are not in the race at the deadline, you can trade him, get something for him. I think it's the best thing. And also, I mean, not only is he good offensively, he has won two gold gloves in the outfield in 20 and 21 when he was on the Rangers. So you can put him in the corner outfields if that's you need to. doesn't have to be just a DH. So I think that's part of it. Um, you know, it is funny, though. I did see today the Nationals have another u- new uniform coming out. It's like a third alternate one. But it's not a button-up jersey. It's a pullover, which I thought was very oh. interesting. It's kind of very similar to how they used to have some jerseys like that in the 70s. So it'll be interesting to see if other teams oh, yeah. start to do that moving forward. That's kind of cool. I like kind of switching it up. I mean, the baseball's got hundreds of years of uh, different types of jerseys to kind of fall back on. You and I, we did a we did a show where we talked about um, they did the Negro League game and yeah. they brought back some of the old school jerseys from those. Those were sick, dude. So Absolutely. I kind of like the idea of kind of switching it up. Um, but yeah, I mean, what he uh, gold gloves, like you said. Does does like to walk maybe you know it did uh what is this he walks and gets on base at a three twenty three career clip so you know maybe get him on and move him over um, I think it could be good but again I like your I like your take on uh, you know just another lower level team uh, kind of getting an asset that might be movable at the deadline Yep I think a lot of teams if you're not competing or you know you're kind of on a younger side you bring in a vet see what can do and then if it's not working out like I said you get something for him even if it's you know, some minor leaguer or whatever that doesn't end up panning out down the line, but it's an asset to then use again to get something else. 
Another team that's not going to be competing is the Dodgers. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so we hope at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Uh, left-handed pitcher James Paxton signed with the Dodgers. One year, $11 million. Got a million dollar in bonus just for being on the opening day roster. Damn, they don't even trust him that much. They're going to give him a million bucks just to show up. That's crazy. Never know what's going to happen. Opening day is not that far away. He also has another million dollars in incentives. Um, again, don't really care. Hope they do poorly. What, finished 2023 with a 4.5 ERA, a 1.31 whip. That's actually pretty good. And 101 strikeouts over 96 innings and 19 different starts. Uh, it was He did have some elbow and knee injuries, but that was technically his best year since like 2019. You like this? I mean, as a Diamondback fan, no. But as a baseball fan, I totally understand what they're doing. Uh, like you said, he didn't play a lot last year. I mean, he had 19 starts, but it was kind of a back and He started off really well early. I think his ERA was under two and a half in the first month or so. And the injuries kind of came, then he came back and only ended up pitching 96 innings. I think part of it, too, is is now he's the only left-handed pitcher in the starting rotation for the Dodgers, which is kind of weird because he used to have so many lefties between Kershaw, Udias, and a couple other guys. So they had to bring in a lefty. And, you know, the Dodgers always have these reclamation projects every year where they bring a guy in who's coming off of a subpar year or coming off of a Tommy John, and they give him a lot of money to, like, yeah, we'll give you one shot and see what we can do. They always seem to push the right buttons on these guys and kind of rebuild them. So he'll probably end up having a decent year as long as he stays healthy for the Dodgers. But I did note, too, not only is he the only left-handed pitcher for the Dodgers, I think the Dodgers, Giants, and Padres combined only have two left-handed pitchers on their rotation, which will come up when we talk about another signing in a few minutes. Yeah, very true. Plus, the other signing that we're going to reference is uh, there's more than a couple lefties on the team besides the guy that just signed. Um, the only thing that I that I would take away from the Dodgers, because you're right, it seems like they freaking do it. They did take a chance on Lance Lynn last year, and that luckily blew up for them because he was lit up during the postseason. Who did they get? Who did they lose to? And I know they made the postseason last year, but I don't runs. I think that was in the desert against. Yeah, them. yeah, that's right. That's right. They got swept. That's God, right. That I know fantastic. we're talking a lot of shit about that because of the way our season went last year, but I hope that doesn't come back to bite us this year in the summer. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. They dude, they spent a billion dollars on two people. We can't keep up. It is that's because we swept them. That that's that's the way I'm looking at it. I agree. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> couple more signings, and then we'll get to the one that we want to talk about. Uh, actually, one more signing. Uh, right-handed pitcher Dave Robertson signs a one-year 11, 11 to $12 million deal with the Rangers. Obviously, Rangers defending champs. Unfortunately, they uh, beat us in the World Series, but it was fantastic that we even got there. So they're adding a little bit more fire to their bullpen. A 15-year career, 175 saves, and a 2.9 ERA. It's pretty what good. He was on the World Series winning team at the Yankees back in 2009, so he's got the championship pedigree. Um, you know, you mentioned he has 175 saves. He's been a closer off and on throughout his career, depending on what team he's on. He kind of bounces between a setup man and that. So I think going to, uh, the Texas Rangers who already have their closer, he'll probably go more into the setup role, which they lost to Raldis Chapman. So I think he kind of fills that void as far as the seventh or eighth inning guy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're the Rangers, you have to have a good bullpen. They know that cause that's how they ended up getting a, a ring last year. I think yeah. it's a win-win all around. And unfortunately, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately. I just hope the Rangers don't face us in the World Series again. And if we do, I don't True. want Robertson to be part of us losing. <laughs> right. Go Angels. Uh, <laughs> and here's the last one, the one that Corey referenced when, in, in relation to left-handed pitchers for the uh, National League West teams. Diamondbacks signed designated hitter Jock Peterson, former Dodger, former Giant, to a one-year deal, has a second-year mutual option. He's kind of looking to have a bounce back year. He was good, wasn't he? Where else did he play before the Giants? I think he was on the Cubs for a moment. 
Okay, that's where he was doing. I feel like he was doing pretty good in 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 Chicago, uh, but had a pretty subpar year last year. Uh, when I when I found out about it, I texted you. I thought it was a pretty good signing. One year, you can't really go wrong. I know that we were looking for JD Martinez. We still might be able to hopefully add him, depending on how much he wants. Uh, he might be able to come back, but we need more hitting because all we did last year, which again, the Phillies had a tough time. Um, you know. Well, we had a tough time getting past the Phillies, I mean, because they could hit bombs. And everything we do is singles, doubles, base running, stolen bases, and try to go from there. Now, granted, you did mention the four straight home runs against Lance Lynn. But besides that, we were more of a chip-it-in kind of team. So trying to get some bigger bats. I liked it. I think it's a perfect fit. Uh, not only did we need some more pop in the lineup, but we needed a left-handed bat because we're very right-handed heavy, especially in the middle of the lineup. Now, Christian Walker did have 30 home runs last year at first base for us, which is great. But again, needing some other guys, like you talked about, very contact-related team, uh, speed on the base pass. But eventually, you're going to need one of those guys to get you a big pop here and there, and I think this is perfect. Uh, he can platoon at, at DH with Lourdes Coriel, who's coming back, who's a right-handed batter. Uh, occasionally, if you need Christian Walker to DH, you can fit Jock Peterson in at first base if you need to. Um, but again, I think just a left-handed bat with some pop is exactly what this team needed in the middle of the lineup to kind of change things up. Again, the Dodgers, Padres, Giants have two left-handers in their starting rotation combined, and he doesn't hit well against lefties. So that's a positive for the Diamondbacks. That he's going to be facing a lot of righties when it comes to those division opponents. And I think in the long run, it's a one-year mutual second year. I think it's a win-win for both sides. It gives him an opportunity to kind of recalibrate his value. And if the Diamondbacks are competing next year and he has a chance to, you know, show it in the playoffs with us, I think it's a win-win for both sides as well. Yeah. Another lefty, obviously the one that I was referencing is Corbin Carroll. So that's pretty good to see that we only have a couple lefties to face, at least in division. Those were yep. obviously most of the games are now granted, not as many games as it used to be. Baseball has nicely redone the schedule. So we're not playing the Dodgers 57 times of the 162 <laughs> games that we play. Uh, but yeah, that is definitely going to be good because as much as, um, We'll probably be looking for a second place finish, depending on how the Dodgers obviously turn out and what the Giants do, because I don't think the Padres and the obviously Rockies aren't going to be doing much. No. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. So hey. looking forward to it. Go Diamondbacks. Wanted to rock the Just hat today. To Honestly, I'm only rocking In the game of October, anything can happen, as we saw last year. So let the Dodgers win the division all they want. Let's just get a wild card spot, and then we'll go from there and see what we can do. Down. I am down. <laughs> Oh, well, that was another Ooh. marathon one, bro. I, I'm having fun, though, with all this talk because I just feel like there's so much that we can, you know, kind of discuss, man. So I'm digging it. I'm digging it. Absolutely. Of course, you know we're not done. Nope, not yeah. yet. We got we got our little ending segment. Uh, I know it's normally our Thursday segment, but again, it was going to be our Saturday. So we decided to fit it right in the middle. Is going to be our Friday ending segment this week in sports history. Let's do it. This week in sports history. So this week in sports history, we're we're I know we just talked a ton of baseball, uh, but we're gonna keep it uh, active. There's obviously not much that happens in baseball in January because there's no baseball in January. So we're gonna we're gonna take it back to the hard court. Uh, there was a couple things that were kind of cool that might have happened this week in uh, football with the football playoffs and stuff, but uh, we we did cover obviously. The Kobe Bryant uh, 81 points from Monday. Uh, today, unfortunately, is the four-year anniversary of the tragic helicopter accident. So we're going to keep it with basketball. On January 23rd, 2015, Clay Thompson sets an NBA record for the most points in a quarter 
a 37-point third period that powers the Golden State Warriors to a 126-101 win over the Sacramento Kings. Thompson makes all 13 shots and finishes with a career-high 52. I think you said that there was an extra caveat to that 37-point quarter, right? Yeah, I was listening to ESPN LA the other day, and Michael Thompson, his father, was uh, there because it was Laker game game day, so he always kind of fills in. And they talked about not only did he have 37 in that quarter, I think he didn't take a shot or make a shot for the first two and two and a half minutes of the quarter. So if you really think about it, he did that in about nine and a half to ten minutes. That is nuts, bro. That is nuts. Uh, props to Clay. Dude's one of the best shooters ever. Obviously, back-to-back injuries has kind of derailed his career a little bit. He's kind of obviously on the back end. When you have lower body injuries in a sport like, well, I mean, really any sport, but definitely a sport like basketball, it's really hard to recover and get back to your old form. Just age alone is going to take it away from you, let alone the major, major injuries he had. So it was amazing to watch during that time frame, and uh, yeah, good for him. That was January 23rd, 2015. Forever ago. Just two days later, January 25th, 2015, this is kicking it back to uh, a, a reference that we made in our previous episode where the winningest women's coach of all time became the winningest coach of all time. Mike Krzyzewski on January 25th, 2015, earned his 1,000th career win, making him the first NCAA Division I men's coach to reach said milestone. Duke uh, beat St. John's for a 77-68 victory, and he did so at Madison Square Garden because, obviously, that's where St. John's is in New York. So, um, What a great venue to kind of get your 1,000th win, being the only person, at least at the time, I don't know if anybody's passed him. I doubt it because uh, I can't think of anybody who's been coaching that long that's still doing it. Uh, but that was fantastic, man. I thought that was a, I thought that was a nice one, especially a little paying homage back to the um, I forgot her name, Vanderveer, the head coach of Stanford, who just uh, became the winningest coach of all time. So yeah, yeah that just recently say, happened. To do at to, for Shevsky to do it at Madison Square Garden of all venues, it would have been cooler, I guess, maybe to do it at home for the Duke Blue Devil maybe. fans. But I think Madison Square Garden, as the mecca of basketball, as they say, is a great venue to have it happen at. Yeah, which is so weird to say. I mean, I get it. It's New York and all that kind of stuff. But what the hell have the Knicks ever done, especially recently? Not ever done, but what have they done recently? Like, I don't know, since I've been bored. Not Not a whole lot. (laughs) No, no. So, But those are that's Weekend Sports History. Um, I know we have a handful of those. We got MILF Mondays on Monday. We got this Weekend Sports History towards the end of the week, depending on what day we do it. If you ever want to learn a little bit more, we got a couple bunch of other these. Check out any of our previous episodes. Where can they find those, man? Yeah, remember you can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcast or even on YouTube if you want to see us and see the clips that we have uh, made for you and just by searching Our View from the Bench. Also, don't forget to follow us, subscribe on YouTube, but don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Our View FTB. Besides uh, the games this weekend, how is your weekend looking? So I'm going to be working this weekend, of course, like typical times. <laughs> uh, nothing tomorrow, basic day shift at the store, and then Sunday I'm working a Brian Adams concert, so I'll be settling wow. that show and working that. Uh, obviously I was supposed to do two shows in three days, but Morrissey canceled tonight, so I didn't have to worry about it. So made the weekend a little easier. Got some things done around the uh, house today while I had the day off, but, uh, back at the grind tomorrow and the rest of the weekend. How about you? Um, not much tomorrow. I might go on a cruise. I haven't taken my car out in a minute. I, um, I have a daily, but I haven't taken my fun car out in a minute. Might be going on a cruise Saturday morning and then, Football Sunday. Honestly, also just recovering, dude. Still need to rest and get over this illness. So that's a pretty a pretty low key weekend for me. That's uh, that's all I got going. So um, you gotta do it yeah. back to normal so you can feel better, man. <laughs> it's been a long exactly, January for you. 
dude, it's been ugh, it's been tough, man. So <laughs> just want to get these antibiotics in, get some rest in, and honestly, just feel better. Just feel better. So looking forward to feeling better, honestly. But we appreciate everybody stopping by, hanging out with us, and checking out things, seeing things from our view from the branch. I'm Brendan. And I'm Corey. And like we always say, enjoy the sports until we talk again. Peace. This was a Sycamore 4th Studios production.